Episode 250 of Mitch Unfiltered. That's a nice number. 250. 250. We should quit right now. We should. We should walk out after this show and no, no, never be, do another Before another the show. Before I'm not going to going through it and then quitting. <laughs> Let's get the hell out of here. Quit before episode 250. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, then we'd only have done 249 shows. Yeah. Yeah, we need to do 250 shows. Okay, fine. That's what they told me when I started. It is. Once you get to 250, <laughs> then you got a show. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> I'd like to start by telling you a little story. Oh, boy. I like stories. Okay. About a baseball game that I attended back in 1913. I like to tell you about that game. Okay. Yes. August 28th, 1913. Your, to first, be exact. your first year at KJR, right? No, it was a year before I got gotcha. here. Okay. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah. Make sure I, get the time I remember it like it was yesterday. Okay. Okay. Walter Johnson was on the mound. Oh, he was good. For the Washington Senators. Have you ever heard the name Walter Johnson before? Oh, I have his jersey. Of course. <laughs> of course you do. He threw a complete game that day. Okay. In a loss in extra innings. The Senators allowed three hits. They didn't allow an extra base hit that day. They allowed zero earned runs. They allowed zero walks. But somehow, they still lost the game. August 28th, 1913. Okay. And wouldn't you know, Hotshot, <laughs> yeah, that 110 <laughs> years later, I yes. was at a game on Saturday night <laughs> Yeah, where George Kirby and the Mariners did exactly the same thing. Yeah, They played in extra innings. They allowed zero earned runs, less than five hits, no extra base hits, no walks. But somehow they lost. And that was the first time since 1913 <laughs> that anybody has yeah. ever accomplished the feat. Why is it not surprising that it was the Seattle Mariners who were able? And on Felix Hernandez night, yeah. the guy who was most known for pitching great games yep. and the Mariners somehow not winning, finding a way to lose. Pitching great games, but not always getting run support, right? No, not again. Yeah, no yeah, run yeah. support. It was Same very, thing as Saturday Felix night. Yes. Only on Felix Hernandez God. night should that happen. Why don't you do what you do best and stay home from now on and stop <laughs> going places? Just keep your ass at home. Oh, my God. Uh, 110 years between the crazy. two times that that happened. Yeah. And it happens on Saturday night on Felix Hernandez night. <laughs> and the Seattle Mariners are the team to achieve it. And it's just no surprise to any of us who've been watching Mariners baseball. It's a hell of a tribute right there, wasn't it? Yeah. And the fact that you were at both, though, I think is really cool. That's something. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually remember because, you know, short term goes first. I actually remember the 1913 game more than I remember <laughs> Saturday night. I believe it. Available on all podcast platforms, Mitch Unfiltered. Subscribe and rate us, please, on Apple. We need some five-star ratings. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron for just $5 a month and have access to all of our shorter weekday shows. The shows have been really good with the Mariners winning. We've had a lot of fun with Danny O'Neill, a show with Slickhawk. The Mariners' no table each and every week has mm -hmm. now gotten really good because the, the Mariners are in a race. We've got the football stuff coming. Seahawks' no table. We've got Randy Mueller hopefully coming. We've got a Huskies' no table hopefully coming. We've got a Kraken' no table hopefully coming. So a lot of stuff to do. Yep. So I'm asking if you're a fan of Mitch Unfiltered to consider, to contemplate, the $5 a month charge to become a Mitch Unfiltered patron because we take that money and we go to Tahiti. No, oh, we don't, we don't go to do Tahiti. that. Okay. No. Oh. If we go to Tahiti, then New Heisel can't be on the show. 
It's either Fine. Tahiti yeah. or New Heisel. All right. New Heisel or Tahiti. We take that money and we, you know, we throw it around. Yep. And we allow other people to be on the show. We don't ask people to be regular guests, do weekly shows with us unless we put a little money in their pocket. And that's what patronage is all about. You're so, re- repurposing please. the money repurposing the money yes so to become a mitch unfiltered patron it's five dollars a month you get access to all of these shorter shows you go to mitchunfiltered.com and that would be a a big help thank you very much that would be a big help uh if if you want to become a mitch unfiltered patron desperately and the five dollars a month is a problem we don't want you to not be able to have access to the shows if you truly can't afford the $5 a month. So if $5 a month is a problem, then just write me Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. We'll take care of you. We'll yep. waive the $5. Won't pay New Heisel. He'll quit. <laughs> right. And the show will suck. <laughs> but it'll be your fault and you know who you are. You can also uh, write us at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com if you have something to say. Like? Dear Mitch. Oh, Craig. Okay. Hot Shots Pee Wee Impression. <laughs> That's all, Craig. <laughs> That's it? That was the whole email. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I think that was a good thing. I think he's complimenting you. Okay. On your, yeah, Thank I really you. like that. Thank I you. Really liked it. I was doing it all week. Yeah, it's fun. It's huh? not for sale, Francis. No, it's the best. Yeah. It's not for sale, Francis. Mitch, just a quick note to tell you how much I enjoyed. I enjoyed your chat with Brian Nemhauser. I recognized his name from Twitter, but realized I wasn't actually following him and I had no idea about his podcast. He came across as a good combo of knowledgeable pragmatic and longtime fan hope we get to hear more of him throughout the season signed jay you are gonna hear more of brian nemhauser great i'm not prepared to tell you why at the moment but you're gonna hear more of brian nemhauser on this mitch unfiltered podcast after 250 shows <laughs> you forgot what it was for a second yeah. there yeah <laughs> uh, you're gonna at hear 500, him you'll remember exactly yes. what we're doing yes right, yeah. in 1913 i remember <laughs> that's true 250 shows <laughs> Not so much. Dear Mitch, I have listened to you since you started at KJR in 1995. Not too far after 1913. I have often thought about writing in before, but never have. I just want to thank you and to tell you how much your show means to me. The sports interviews are great. But as I get older, I have come to truly appreciate your interviews that go beyond the world of sports. Your willingness to be honest with your struggles has truly helped me to deal with mine. So that's it. I look forward to your show every week, and I feel like I have grown up listening to you and have grown with you. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Jeff in Nevada. Really? Yeah, I used to call it Nevada when I first came west. Oh, yeah, you East Coasters love that. Yeah, my brother still calls it Nevada. Gonzaga. Gonzaga, Nevada, Nevada yeah, Oregon, yeah, yeah. Oregon, all that yeah, East Coast yeah, sports shit. Know. You guys don't know what you're doing out there. Yeah, you're getting it all wrong out here. Hey, Mitch, loved episode 249. The Travis Snyder interview was great. Any chance you can get him on as a recurring guest, maybe on the Mariners' note table? Be cool to have a local former big leaguer's perspective on the Mariners and baseball in general. I also saw his post about the trade deadline, and it was really insightful. Good advice for all of us navigating life's unexpected challenges he seems like a good dude would love to hear more from him keep up the good work really appreciate all the content you're providing thanks matt feels like some positivity coming our way for some reason not a lot of bitching and moaning on the email this this week when's the other shoe gonna drop as Uh, they say probably monday (laughs) yeah probably wait after we get this nonsense out of the way (laughs) the good thing is 
after I read the email on Monday that just throws us under the bus, yeah. I won't remember it because my short-term memory <laughs> is true. That is true. How about guests on this episode 250? Would you like to hear about those? Let's go. I'm having a dentist on. Really? Yeah. Okay, why? Let's see how long it takes you to catch on. Okay. A dentist by the name of Christian Shuey, Dr. Christian Shuey. Okay. Ever heard the name? No. Okay, good. Before he was a dentist, he was the catcher of the University of Washington in the 1990s out of Redmond High School. He wow. was an all-Pac-10 catcher, the University of Washington, who, by the way, when he was catching for them, came this close to going to the College Baseball World Series, only to be defeated by Jason Veritek, Nomar Garcia Parra. Georgia Tech? And Georgia Tech. Wow. Yes. yes. Interesting, okay. So why would I have Dr. <laughs> Christian Shuey, a dentist on, besides the fact that this tooth right here is a little sore. Yeah, is it really? Yeah, I need to get his impression. <laughs> oh, by the way, after he came out of Washington, he was a 37th round draft choice of the Seattle Mariners. 37th? But decided, you know what, 37th round. Yeah. I'm going to become a dentist. $82 signing bonus didn't do much for him. <laughs> Buses from Everett to... Yeah. Yes. Riding yes. the bus to work so every day. So why in the world would I have a dentist, Dr. Christian Shuey, on the program? Did someone take a ball to the mouth or something no. recently? Or? No, that's a good, good guess. Yeah. Well, he happens to do something as a hobby. Okay. He coaches Little League Baseball as a hobby. Oh, okay. And he happens to be the coach of the Northeast Seattle. Gotcha. Little League. There you go. Which is now playing in the Little League Williamsport, World Series. Pennsylvania. Yeah. And a little note that you will enjoy more than anybody. Okay. They lost in their district tournament. Wow. How often does a Little League baseball or softball team lose a game on their way to their district title, then run the course in state? run San Bernardino yeah. and go to Williams and never lose another game. They have not lost another game since, but they did lose to a local district team in the winner's bracket of their district tournament. Not often. Not often. That's a good you district. Once, you though. actually once told me if you lose a game, there's no way you're going to the World Series. You're not, you yeah, you're not winning. They're, they're the exception. There. They are, yeah. yeah. That's a good district, that district date. I looked it up. It's you know that? It's got a lot of good... Yeah, it's Ballard... Oh. Uh, Magnolia, Woodenville, North Bothell. It's a, it's a really tough district. So yeah. I'm not that surprised, but good for them. So Dr. Christian Shuey, the dentist, nice. is going to join us from Williamsport as their little league team gets ready on Thursday to face Maine. Oh, oh God, you can't stop Maine. You can only hope to contain them. Coached by Stephen King this year, actually, who lives in Maine. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> <Stop. He's> not <laughs> I know that he lives there. I don't think he's coaching the little league. Are you? Uh, were you on the edge of your seats watching Massapequa win the softball no. World Series? No, did they? I don't even Congratulations know Congratulations. Massapequa, New York? That's right, the state yeah. of New York. I used to go time. to college with people from Massapequa, New York. Oh, you did? Syracuse University is a hot spot for Massapequians. <laughs> Massapequians? I don't know. By the way, that Texas team I told you was just going to run through it. Lost. They got uh, third place. So congrats to New York and Massapequa. They've never won the Little League World Series. But we'll all be cheering or will you not be? Oh, for these boys? Of yes, course. I can't Northeast wait. Seattle I'm, I'm all in. I'll buy a this Northeast is like, Seattle. This is like Wallingford, the Wallingford neighborhood. Yeah. I get the feeling it's kind of you district-y. 
you know, University yes, Village. U Village. Yeah. U Village. Like if, if you lived yeah. at Husky Stadium, that was your address, you'd play for this team. Like th- that's the district. Or yeah. That's where they are. That's yeah. where they're from. So yeah. yeah. I'm all in, man. Yeah. Thursday <laughs> noon on ESPN against Can't Maine. Wait. Yes, sir. It's going to be fun. Uh, Brady Henderson will be guest number two on this episode 250. The Seahawks played a. Did you have. Did you watch Thursday night, the Seahawks and the Vikings in exhibition game number one? Did you learn anything about your beloved Seattle Seahawks? I worked till seven. Uh-huh. I drove to Woodenville for yes. a softball practice. Yes. Sat in a restaurant and watched about 45 minutes of it. Plenty. Yeah. And I, I saw a big hit on special teams from the Seahawks, but I don't really know who it was. Now, and wait a there second. Was no sound, and that's all I you saw. You didn't watch the first 45 minutes. You just watched a 45-minute yes, section. a 45-minute section. Because if you didn't dinner. watch the first 45 minutes, or shall I say, if you didn't watch the first 45 seconds, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the opening kickoff, D. Eskridge got hurt. Come on. No, I'm not joking. Okay. He didn't even wait to the first <laughs> offensive play to get hurt. Yeah. He got, I don't know why I'm joking about yeah, this. This I is know. probably bad form by me. You don't joke about guys' injuries. Yeah. But if I said to you last week, in this upcoming Thursday's first exhibition game, there is going to be a Seahawk player that literally gets hurt on the opening kickoff, yeah. you would have said who? Well, yeah, that would have been like the Eskridge, right? I mean, that would have been <laughs> he would have been number the, the one, odds two, on three. favorite yep. in Vegas. Yeah. He's out. How long? They're saying a couple of weeks, but you know he's out for the first six weeks suspended because of the domestic issue. So uh, he's going to take some time off now. So he's allowed to. Play I don't think in, that pick is working out for the Seahawks. He's allowed to play in the preseason, though. I thought. Yeah, you're allowed to play in the preseason. His suspension begins the Monday. Leading into the first okay. week of the season, because yeah, it's not really out. fair if you miss four preseason games. That's no, you don't miss any preseason yeah. games. No, okay. but he misses six weeks. <laughs> he got hurt anyway. So. <laughs> I, and I think I said on last week's oh, show geez. that yeah, it stings that D. Eskridge is going to be suspended the first six games, but he's going to need three or the four of those weeks to get better from an injury he's going to sustain anyway. That's right. And he waited one play, exactly one play to get hurt. Why is he out there on kickoff anyway? Like, okay, whatever. Because they're trying to get their money's worth at any point now. Yes, I guess. Brady Henderson will tell us what we learned from exhibition game number one. And then um, here's a stump the band question for you. You're a big UW Husky fan. Sure. There's only one Washington State quarterback, Cougar quarterback. Okay. In the history of the long and storied Apple Cup game Mm -hmm. that's beaten the Huskies Three out of his four go-arounds. That's impressive. Only one. He was the starting quarterback in three victories for the Cougars over the Huskies. And I believe he's the only Cougar quarterback that can say, I started and I beat the dogs three times in my career. Do you know who that is? I'm no expert on Wazoo. Tim Rosenbach. No. No. Guesser. No. Wow. I don't know. I don't know if I can come Well, up he's it. on the brink of being on episode 250. Okay. Alex Brink is the name oh, yeah. of the quarterback. Right. Do you remember the name yeah, Alex of Brink? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I invited Alex Brink not to talk about the Apple Cup, to talk about the Washington State Cougars and all of this and yeah. what, what's going to happen next and how heartbroken they are and how pissed they are at the Huskies if they are pissed at the Huskies yeah. for leaving them behind and going to the Big Ten. I wanted to hear from a Cougar, and I got Alex Brink on the show, episode 250, to do that. Okay? The Coug fans will be stoked. They will love it. The Coug fans yep. will get their fill. Yes, I like it. 
Yep, so here we are at episode 250, brought to you in part by Evergreen Golf Call. Tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, all the great things going on over there at Zeke's, from expansion all the way to Idaho and soon down to Portland to their revamped mobile app, which makes home delivery as simple as ever. Download and try it. Let me know how it is. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions. Beat the boys this NFL season is coming back. Fall and winter will be here before you know it. Start considering replacing that beaten up fireplace or add one outside like we did. Check out the newly remodeled Bellevue flagship location, firesidehomesolutions.com. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Where was I on Saturday night? With my son Max at Felix Hernandez night sitting in the new press club. Why and how? Jordan Flowers and Cross Country Mortgage. Thank you very much. The kind of perks that come with being on Jordan Flowers' good side. So call him if you have any mortgage questions or needs. And you never know when you'll be in an all-you-can-drink and all-you-can-eat situation at T-Mobile Park. They are terrific at what they do. Cross Country Mortgage, 425-890-2957. Daniel's Broiler, we're talking about appetizers on this edition of Mitch Unfiltered with Lindsey Schwartz later. Bacon-wrapped scallops. Trust me. Just trust me. Still some great weather ahead to celebrate special occasions at Daniel's Broiler and enjoy their great variety of outside dining options danielsbroiler.com you gotta love daniel's broiler a world-class steakhouse episode 250 ladies and gentlemen begins right now unfiltered how dare washington and oregon leave now you see why you see that the deal that was on the table from them from was like from apple tv there was no mainstream television right it was going to be like 20 million dollars a team if they got a number of subscribers to subscribe to apple tv i mean it was just a it was a shit ass deal it was right. a terrible deal unfiltered and so now everybody who has been asking can't they do what they did last year can't they do what they did let they're doing what they did let all of us who said come on would you stop right would you stop that was a once in a a 10-year thing they're not going to turn around and do everybody who kept on it yeah they're doing what they did last year mitch is unfiltered episode 250 is now officially underway with my friend Shots got fresh off of my Boeing Classic Nightmare, where I live, and the traffic and the mess. You just got finished telling me that it's not a problem. I asked (laughs) you when you walked in the door, does the Boeing Classic cause you a problem? And you said, absolutely not. It's great to have you. (laughs) The only problem it causes me is... I was there on Friday. You were. Not only was I at the Boeing... Listen to this. You should have come over when I made grilled cheeses together. I yelled for you. (laughs) I yelled for you. I'm sure. In the middle of the Fred Couple swing, he got pissed at me. I was like, shut Scott! I thought that was you. That was me. Yes. Not only did I come out from underneath my desk to go to the Boeing Classic on Friday. I went to the Boeing Classic for four or five hours on Friday, came home, went to the Friday night game between the Seattle Mariners and Baltimore Orioles where the... The Mariners Ooh. won. The only game of the series, the Mariners won. 
Then got up the next day after a, a full day of something, I don't know. Went to Felix Hernandez night. Went to the game again the next night on Saturday night. Holy Lord. I did nothing but live outside the house. Boy, you are participating in life Out of my comfort zone. It, it was unbelievable. It, yeah, it was unbelievable. Good for you. Yeah. And I really enjoy the Boeing Classic. I don't know if anybody else cares about it anymore. I don't know if this town takes it for granted. It was pretty cool when it came about. Yeah. Now I feel like people just kind of ignore it a little bit. Huh. There's not big crowds out there anymore. Maybe there never was. Yeah. I love the Boeing Classic. I mean, if you're a golf fan, you're not a huge golf fan. But yeah. for me, all kidding aside, the opportunity to go see Bernard Longer, Ernie Els, Fred Couples, yeah. VJ Singh, Justin Leonard, you know, Stephen Ames won it, whatever. The older you get, the more there's going to be I love guys the, you kind of watch in your young. I love it. I love yeah. it. And if you don't think those guys can still play, guess again. I've been out there. It's, it's amazing yeah. how how well those guys still <laughs> they play. They still hit it 300. Stephen yeah. Ames finished. He was like three ahead, and he finished birdie, 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 eagle. Crazy. He went six under on his last five holes on Sunday to win. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, they're not playing like up to you. Oh, well, they only play. No, they're playing it from like 7,200 yards. Yeah. 7,300 yards, whatever it is. They can still play. A lot of these guys can still play. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I brought, I, I, we broadcasted live from the there, and, and I was surprised at how well they still play. I just thought it'd be a bunch of old guys, you know. Oh, yeah, you probably did. Yeah, like gas? gas? And I would bro- yeah, we broadcast Sit on the there. hill up there? Oh, sure, up on yeah. the hill, yeah. And I was so like, does it cause, geez. it doesn't cause a problem. There's not enough traffic for it to cause a problem. Or no, it? It, it feels a little more full, the traffic, a little slower, but it's not like backups and annoying. Don't tell me that like your your community, your residential community like complains and bitches and doesn't want it. Do people I, not want it? Do I they haven't care? heard that. I haven't no. heard that from anyone. It's, no. no, it's great having It's good for the community, I think. I think so. Do you notice people who watch golf tournaments wear the clothing that they would wear if they were playing golf that day? This is something I've noticed. (laughs) Have you noticed that? There are people that walk around in golf shoes. I kid you not. Holy shit. I don't get that. I don't put on shoulder pads and a helmet at Seahawks games. I mean, what the hell is that? Like, you see, like, the women have these. Slickhawk does. (laughs) That's true. A jersey with his name on it? Yes. Um, Yes, but yes, like yes. these women well, have on these golf outfit outfits. The men have on exactly what. It's just like, why do you have well, to wear I, that to a tournament? You know, I don't find the golf shirt and the golf pants or shorts a problem. That's not a problem. Okay, because that's probably what I would. I would wear a golf shirt, but I would wear a golf shirt to go do anything. Go to a restaurant. Yeah, I mean, I, okay. to, to go have lunch yeah. somewhere, right? It's the golf shoes. <laughs> they want to send for whatever a reason. The oh, golf God. shoes. Yeah. I don't know if they want me to feel like they're playing, like, or they want to feel like they're actually yeah. playing in the event. They want you to know the that golf- they're a very now, serious golfer too. Now they would say if you actually interviewed somebody or talked to somebody who goes to these things as spectators and wears golf shoes, they would say, "Why wouldn't I wear golf shoes?" That's what you wear. I mean, that's the most comfortable thing. There's a reason why they are golf shoes. To walk a golf course, you should have golf shoes on. That's what they would say, and I don't get that. <laughs> I'm going to wear cleats to the next Seahawks game. <laughs> yeah, I needed to go up in section oh, 245. God. I need my cleats. That's right. But the golf yeah. fans love it. I saw a lot of them walking around my neighborhood. By the way, there was a trailer parked across from my house. Just yes. a guy camping in it for the tournament. It and was yeah, me. It was probably you. <laughs> but it yeah, was I, me. I did notice that. It's kind of annoying, the golf clothes. I like how... People that are living, you don't live on the golf course, right? I, I like how, you know, some of the kids 
We'll set up stands, lemonade stands, yeah. or sell pizza or sell That's cool. hot dogs and give it to charity. And the signs say we're going to give this to this charity or that charity. Yeah. It's very cool. It makes you want to I like patronize it. those stands. I a absolutely. More. Yeah, absolutely. No, I like the I like the Boeing Classic. I wish that the Mariners would have done better over the weekend. I'm not as concerned with the results of the Mar- of the Boeing Cl- Classic as I am yeah. the Mariners' results after they won the game going away on Friday. It looked like another. They win their eighth in a row on Friday, and then they're going into Felix Hernandez night. Oh, forget it. Easy Who's going to come in here and beat them on no, Felix Hernandez? Night? Nobody. They forgot that they had to score at least one run to win the game on Felix Hernandez oh, night. Shit, I knew That's I forgot the way something. That works. Damn it. Yeah. That was a really exciting night. The Felix Hernandez ceremony was fun. Yeah. He was all choked up. There were some funny moments. Ichiro was funny on the big screen. Yeah. He was there, but they had each of them do a little video presentation mm. for Felix. A young girl who I think is now 15 or 16, she met Felix through the Make-A-Wish Foundation when he was playing like years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was born with heart defects and had lots of surgeries, and he hadn't seen her in years, and they surprised him. She came out. Wow. She lives in Alaska. They had to fly here. They flew her here to be there wow. to, to come out and give him flowers. He was a mess. He was crying <laughs> from the beginning. I'm sure. He's a crier. <laughs> Felix is a crier. Yeah. Yeah. And then... You can relate. The best moment... <laughs> Yes. The best moment is, you know about the relationship between him and Adrian Beltre? Do you remember that at all? No. So they were teammates. Beltre, the Hall of Famer. Yeah. Maybe even first ballot Hall of Famer, who's worst three or four years. Right here. Um, but he was he was like Felix's buddy. And then even after he left to go to Texas, Beltre. Mm-hmm. You remember they, they used to go back and forth. If Felix struck Beltre out, he would like taunt him a little bit if Beltre hit a home run they would they would hug and they were they were always best in best power. so they had him up on the big screen sending a message to Felix and then he was like oh forget this and he walked out oh that's cool that's pretty awesome and, was, and Felix of lost, course, lost it. it again completely <laughs> lost it again it was a really nice night and then of course they go out and Kirby is unbelievable again yeah yet so unbelievable that they accomplished something that hadn't been accomplished since 1913 yeah. and Walter Johnson. They figure a way to lose that game and then the Sunday game. Oh my God. 2 2, the controversial balk. Yeah. They score to make it 3 2. They take the home run away from, from Ty France. The guy goes over the wall. You saw that play. He goes over the wall and brings it back and stumbles. Maybe as good a catch you'll see all year. Yeah to save the game or apparently save the game. But then the next guy, Canzone, comes up and hits it off of the window of the Hit It Here Cafe, the the former Hit It Here Cafe. The foreclosed on Hit It Here Cafe. And then the guy who stole the home run comes up in the next half inning and he hits a nut. First he hits one that's gone and it's foul. And you're like, oh my God. Bullet dodged, yeah. (laughs) Anybody but this guy who stole the home run. Thank God that was foul. Two pitches later, it wasn't foul. No, it was not. And the game was over. Mullins? Mullins. Cedric? I think it's Cedric Mullins. Didn't even start the game. Well, yeah, he had the day off. He's yeah. a good player. Well, I wish he would have had the whole he, day off. He actually <laughs> was the key player in the loss on Saturday night on Felix's night because when they went to extra innings at 0-0, they put the guy at second base. You know, they put the guy at second base to yeah. start the inning. It was Mullins. It's only taking me years to get used to that. Andres Munoz again out there for the Mariners. Mullins is at second base. Munoz doesn't really pay close enough attention to him. 
he steals third and ends up scoring when the infield is drawn in on the next guy who gets a base hit. So he was in the middle of the whole the whole disaster the last two games. Well, I guess those two games he was. Good basketball so. player at St. John's, too, back in the day, I tell you. Okay. It's my favorite part about that Jordan doc was him still not knowing it's Chris Mullen, not Chris Mullins. <laughs> the fact that Jordan calls him Mullins. Did he call Walter Berry Walter Berries? <laughs> God, you, you spent a whole summer with him on the same team and you still don't know his name 30 years later. It's not as bad as Ricky Henderson, if you believe that story. Oh, yeah, the Olerud. Yeah. yeah, go on. What yeah. was that? You know the story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, you wear a helmet when you field? I used to play with New York with a guy like that. <laughs> we don't know if he's kidding. I, I don't know whether it's true. Yeah. It might be an urban myth. All right. But anyway, the Mariners are now, again, behind the Toronto Blue Jays. For just a minute there, they caught the Blue Jays. Oh, yeah. At one point, there were two games in the lost column better than the Blue Jays going into Saturday night. But then the Mariners lose Saturday night. They lose Sunday. And now a four-game series against a team that's like 45 games under 500. They're going to the stifling heat of Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, to face the Kansas City Royals, who are between 40 and 45 games under 500 for a four-game series. So you just killed if them. you believe, yeah, if you believe that you should beat the bad teams at this stage of the year, then they're going to do okay. Yeah, I was thinking about you know they don't call me Mister Mister Positivity for nothing, and I was thinking about it on the way over to your house, <laughs> Mister Positivity. So. Baltimore had the, or probably has the best record in the American League, or one of the best. Yeah, yeah Baltimore is very good. It's yeah. a hell of a good team. Yeah. You kicked their ass in the first game. You had them. You bet your, your your starter shuts their ass out for nine innings. Even their though manager lose. said about George Kirby, who I'll talk about after you're finished. Their manager, who plays in the American League East mm -hmm. and is having a great year, said that is the best pitching performance against us. In any game this year. That's yeah. what he said about George Kirby on Saturday night. Elite, elite, elite was the quote from uh, from the manager of the Baltimore Orioles. Go ahead. So you, you kicked their ass in the first game. Your starter shuts their ass out for nine innings. Yeah. And you barely lose. And, you know, you could have gone either way. It's like, that's a pretty good sign that this team's playing good baseball. If any other team would have come riding in here for the weekend, they probably would have kicked their ass. But did you ass. need that sign? Well, they had won eight in a row. Yeah. They had won, I believe, 17 out of 21. Yeah. So they were 17 and four in their last 21 games. I don't think there was any question amongst anybody in baseball that the Mariners were playing were playing the best baseball of anybody in the league. More confirmation, though, right? The Orioles didn't come in and kick their ass. No. They Quite didn't. the contrary, right? They lost two games. They weren't going to win every game the rest of the way. Yeah. They got an incredible, I thought, performance from George Kirby. I thought Bryce Miller on Sunday was unlucky. They gave up an unearned run, which wasn't his fault in the first. And then there was a dribbler a couple innings later that gives up the second run. Otherwise, Bryce Miller pitches well. You know, again, it's always going to be the same thing with the Mariners. When they struggle, it's not going to be because of pitching. It's always going to be, are you getting enough runs yeah. to support the pitching? On Saturday night, it was no. And on Sunday, it was, you know, two runs. You needed three or four. Yeah. In the first nine innings to be able to, to get it done. So mm -hmm. I think right now they're in they're in great shape. Everybody's feeling good. Yeah, you lost two in a row. You're playing what they say is a very bad team in Kansas City. Go out and wipe the field with them. Right. For God's sake. Take sakes. care of them. Take care of them. Step on their throats, hot shot. Do we, <laughs> do we know when JP's coming back? Oh, uh, well, I think he's still he's on the injured list. So I think he's got another, you know, probably four days. Okay. Four games, five games with that concussion. 
uh, before he can come back. So, but George Kirby, before we go to the um, the guests and the other stuff segment, George Kirby. Yeah, I made a comment way back before the season started that I saw in Las Vegas or in one of those websites. I saw that George Kirby was sixty six to one to win the American League Cy Young Award. Okay. And maybe you'd say, oh, well, Luis Castillo on his own team has a better chance. Maybe even somebody would say Logan Gilbert's got a better chance. I don't think anybody would say Robbie Ray's got a better chance. Not now. At least based on last year's results. But I noticed, and we talked about it either with you or Slickhawk or both, that George Kirby was 66-1 to to win the Cy Young. And I'm not telling you right now that he's going to win the Cy Young but he ain't 66 to one anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he is. I don't know if there's uh, some, some retooling of those odds in Vegas and whether you could find out somehow, some way, but I'm sitting there on Saturday night. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm watching him pitch by my calculation. George Kirby's got nine starts left 45 games to go. Okay. Right. And he pitches every fifth day. And I'm looking at the American league starters and the Cy young candidates and I'm only seeing one, maybe two, that are at this moment have a better portfolio, if you want want to say that, statistical portfolio than George Kirby. One of them might even be on their own on his own team. Luis <laughs> yeah. Castillo's having a hell of a year too, so he's in the mix. But I'm looking at the numbers with nine starts to go. And I'm here to tell you that if George Kirby pitches well over those nine starts, he's got a hell of a shot still to win the American League Cy Young. I think Garrett Cole of the Yankees, who started the All-Star game for the American League, I think he is ahead of Kirby, kind of across the board, but not so far that if he stumbled a couple of times, which he did the last start, if Garrett Cole has a couple of bad starts and Kirby has a couple of good starts, I think They'll flip-flop. Hmm. And then there's guys like Framber Valdez and Kevin Gaussman and Zach Elfin and Luis Castillo's having But Kirby is like in the top three or four right now. I would say he's in the top three, four, or five Crazy. in American League Cy Young, and he's still got nine starts to go. So uh, you're, you're loving that ticket if you got it at 66 oh, to 1. Oh, my God. <laughs> you're loving it. Here, he an ERA in the American League, he's fourth. Quality starts, he's got 17 quality starts, tied for first in the American League with Cole. Whip, walks plus hits over innings pitched. He's number one in the American League. Wow. Uh, strikeouts to walks ratio, almost 10 to 1. Number one in the American League. In war, he's the sixth best pitcher in American League. So he's fourth, first, 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 and sixth in, in five of the most important categories. Yeah. George Kirby is right in the mix for the American League Cy Young, as, by the way, is Luis Castillo. Right. Luis Castillo could still win the, the Cy Young. Get, so, some, get some bats going on this damn team. We're going to throw away all this pitching. God's ears. <laughs> Three guests, and then we'll do the other stuff segment. Hey, look who it is. Lindsey Schwartz, Daniels Broiler, my favorite steakhouse during the summer and any time of year. How are you, Lindsey? How's everything at Daniels Broiler? Hey, Mitch, doing great. Yeah, it's summertime. We've been so fortunate to have such beautiful weather, have a beautiful summer, July, August. Yep. That means we get to open all the decks and patios. Busy, busy, busy. So let's keep up this great weather. What I can tell you is that when my buddy, old friend Mark Kalkavecchia comes to town 
the golfer for the Boeing Classic. He's not even in SeaTac Air. I think he's still on the plane when he texts me, hey, can you help me out with Daniel's broiler? Can you help me out with Daniel's broiler? It's a favorite of the golfers that come for the Boeing Classic, isn't it? It really is. A few years ago when Jerry Kelly won, he came into Daniel's to celebrate afterwards, and I was there and saw him and talked to him a little bit. And uh, yeah, I think the word is out. That's the place to go if you win the tournament. Too bad I didn't teach you a little about the game of golf while he was there. Did you meet him? Did he? No tips? Oh, God. That Yeah, <laughs> that would be a full-time job. He already has a job. I don't, I don't think he has time for that. Uh, all right, last time you were on, you talked desserts. I want to focus on appetizers this time around. It's a little controversial in the way that I never want to eat too much before the steak arrives, but you have such good appetizers. I'm torn on that. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, we, we try to keep them light, so we make that decision easy for you. We don't want to fill you up on the appetizers, but we just try to make them delicious, and I think we've done that. I know that. I know you've talked about the scallops, how you love, I love that one. love the scallops. Yeah, the bacon-wrapped scallops, yes. They're so good. I think it's something unique that we do. We, we pick the big jumbo scallops. We wrap them in bacon. We put them on the broiler. It's just a really unique flavor. You get the Sambuca butter sauce, serve it on top of crostini. You got good taste. Those are really, really good. How about some of the other appetizers? I know from experience the popcorn shrimp has gone from a a Levy boy's favorite as their main course to now they just get a couple of orders before their steaks as they eat me out of house and home. What about some of the other appetizers? Yeah, I mean, the popcorn shrimp are awesome. I think really what makes them is the sauce. It comes with two sauces, the yep. sriracha aioli, which is spicy and delicious, and the lemon aioli is really, really good. And yeah, I've told you before, my kids love that too. Even even now they're grown up, they still got to have it. And your favorite is the crab leg? Yeah, I like the crab legs. I mean, the cool thing about it is if you love crab like I do, but you don't like to have to work for it and crack the crab and wear a bib, they're already shelled. We, we take the, the crab legs out of the shell, the big fry leg, which is the biggest leg on a crab. Right. And uh, we serve that in a Dijon mustard sauce. Yeah, that's been my favorite. I love that so one. So I guess the uh, the moral to the story is, even if you're not in the mood for a big giant steak, you can go to Daniel's, have a drink, and feast on the appetizers and enjoy some of the great views of the Pacific Northwest. We love Daniel's Broiler. World-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. is this one a walk-off home run to go to the little league world series the things dreams are made of matthew fisher will never buy another dinner in seattle our next guest was an all pack 10 catcher at the university of washington in the early 1990s and as I understand it, a draft choice of his hometown Seattle Mariners. But rather than take a shot at professional baseball, he began a career in dentistry. So why in the world is Dr. Christian Shuey on episode 250 of Mitch Unfiltered? He's going to solve the riddle right now. How are you, Christian? Doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Tell everybody where you are and why you're on this episode of Mitch Unfiltered. I'm in the uh, in the dorms here at Williamsport, Pennsylvania, in the uh, Little League World Series Complex. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, Northeast Seattle Little League. 
is representing not only Seattle, not only Washington, but the Northwest region as champs of the Northwest in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and getting ready to embark upon what a journey. So crowns and fillings will have to wait, Doc. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, luckily, most of my patients know this is part of my life, and they we've kind of tried to prep them moving forward that this was a possibility. You never want to say the Liberal Series is your goal, uh, maybe more of a dream, but here we are. And my staff has been fantastic. Kudos to my Becky, my front office uh, associate up there, has done a fantastic job of communicating this to patients that they, they know. So we're just kind of putting everything on hold for a while. It's not a group practice. It's just me. <laughs> so I've got my staff there working without me as much as they can. we got Dennis on call. They're willing to step up to take the emergencies. Okay. But, yeah, that the uh, high-revenue stuff is not coming in right now for sure. <laughs> the high-revenue <laughs> stuff, the crowns and the Philly. So I want to know, what was the best moment, the best single moment of your all-Pac-10 Washington career playing catcher? Do you remember a moment that stands uh, out? Absolutely. Uh, i got to say it was the regional tournament that we were in back in Wichita, Kansas where we had a good start, ran into a, a good Georgia Tech team. This was a Georgia Tech team that was number one all season long, had a guy named uh, Jason Veritek uh-huh. as a catcher in the senior year after uh, he was drafted and came back his senior year. And they also had Nomar Garcia-Para at shortstop, oh. and Jay Payton was manning center field. This was a stacked oh. team for sure. A couple of, of their starter pitchers made it up as well. And we battled through. We lost them earlier in the tournament. Came back, battled through to to come back the championship against them, and we had to beat them twice. Unfortunately, our our, our regional tournament down here in San Bernardino, it's whether you're in the winners or loser bracket, it was just a one game playoff. Well, down there we had to come back and beat them twice. We beat them in the first game in 14 innings in about 105 degree temperature in Wichita. I think I lost about 15 pounds <laughs> in that game. But I had a my favorite memory is I had a hit there. I think in the 10th inning they had scored a run, so. They were up by one. I had a single to, to put us you know, further down the road in the extra innings where we finally came back and won. But that, my recollection is, is oh. that was just okay. the dream of my okay. – We got one game away from the World Series. So now compare that moment where you got the hit to send it to extra innings, that great moment in your playing career to what it felt like as the coach of this little league team, when you guys finished off San Bernardino and qualified for Williamsport and the Little League World Series? What's the difference in feeling for you all these years later? That's a great question. My assistant coach, Stosh Jackson, he played for Oregon State and for the uh, Portland Pilots and played minor league ball with the Cubs as well. So we were both talking about that on the way in, how these jitters you feel as a coach are real. They are the real thing. And there's no real end to it. There's no like f- severe focus you go into as a player. As a player, you, you feel those same jitters before the game, maybe a little bit of warm-ups. But you go into this kind of zone at that point where it's it's just you playing baseball. This is, so that, that nervous, that anxiety, that, that feeling of, of you just don't want to do something to screw up this thing, that doesn't really go away until, until your team puts up five runs in the first inning, which luckily we did in that championship game. Uh, it, it's it's nerve wracking. It's more more nerve wracking as a coach, maybe because there's less control, mm-hmm. and and you don't get to get that energy out on the field like you do when you're playing. Yeah, it's a little more nerve wracking, I would say, as a coach. Northeast Seattle Little League would be where exactly Laurelhurst area? 
Yes. So, so we are, uh, I imagine 25th is a road that runs to the west side of the village. Take that road and go further east towards Lake Washington. So it's kind of the Laurelhurst, Windermere, Sandpoint, View Ridge area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as a, as a father of boys who played Little League ball, I know how this works. Was this a, a group of kids that you guys had in, have been anticipating turning 12 for a lot of years that you circled, that you knew a few years ago, maybe when they were 9 and 10, that when these guys turn 12, this is going to be our best shot? Great question. And I would say the answer, the short answer to that is no. Uh, we did not circle this as this is the team that's going to go. I, I have a 14-year-old son as well. I also have a 20-year-old son in college. But I have a 14-year-old son who I coached his all-star teams up. His 12-year-old year, I thought we might have had the team to make it. This was two years ago. We ended up running into an East Lake team over there in Redmond sure. that made it all the way to the World Series that year. And and they just kind of squashed our hopes and dreams that year. So at that point, I dropped back to coach my, what was an 11-year-old next year, so which was in last year, coached his all-star team. And, and I knew we were good. I thought maybe there's a chance we were better than, than that team as 11s. Well, lo and behold, that team ended up winning the state championship as an 11-year-old team. That was when we first said, wow, maybe we got something special here. So we knew going into this year that we were going to be good. We were going to be the team to beat, but we knew we were going to be good. Uh, but I can't say that we circled this group of kids moving up. Uh, we kind of found out along the way that we've had something special here. So you have a son playing on the team, Christian? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Brooks plays center field. Okay. Lefty. Okay. Pitches for us, too. So give us the strengths and weaknesses of this team. We uh, Anybody who watched... A little of the Northwest region knows that you have this kid named Trey Kirchhoff. Yeah. Trey, Trey, Ker, Trey Kirchhoff. Trey Kirchhoff is your star pitcher, which this uh, ends up being about more times than not. Give us the strengths and weaknesses of the Northeast Seattle Little League team, if you wouldn't mind, Coach. Okay. I'll start off with a weakness that we just don't have that guy who throws yeah. mid-70s. Right. It's just going to shut you down. A good buddy of mine who I play ball with, Jamie Day, says the problem with Little League Baseball is you're one kid with a mustache away from going home. <laughs> and we, we, we don't have that guy, the guy who's just going to fire gas probably faster than you can swing it. For example, we watch the, the regional championship of Northern, Northern California versus Southern California. There's a guy there throwing 80 miles an hour. That's over 100 miles an hour relative to yeah, yeah, where a major league distance yeah. for these guys have to hit. How do you hit that? I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievably fast. We don't have that guy. So that's, that's the weakness, I would say, that is, is potentially going to hinder us moving forward. Strengths. Well, let's, hit, let's talk about what we do have on the mound. We've got this kid named Trey who is an ultimate competitor. He is, he's not up there chucking the ball. He is a pitcher. And we really work well with him hitting his spots, hits the outside corner really, really well, keeps good hitters are on their heels a lot. We, Astosh and I, uh, do a really good job of scouting. Astosh especially dives into every single uh, opponent we have, trying to find some weaknesses if they're there to be had. So a lot of times we're pitching guys backwards. They're seeing good curveballs in the counts where they're hoping to see fastballs and maybe a fastball in the count where they're expecting to see a curveball. And that's been a recipe that's really worked well for us. Trey just hits his spots, ultimate competitor. And he's doing this not at 75. He's doing this in the high 60s range. Right. And it's not necessarily, as we all know, you don't have to throw 100 miles an hour in the major leagues to be effective. There's plenty of great pitchers out there that throw 90. 
Trey's going to do that, do this at a speed that guys theoretically should be able to hit. But he's going to blow the ball by him because they're not looking for a fastball. And he changed his feet. So he'll throw that ball a few miles an hour harder at times when he has to. Mm-hmm. He's got that in him. So you've got Maine at noon on Thursday, noon Pacific time on ESPN. Do we know anything about Maine? And going back to that California pitcher that throws – throws 80 are we sure he's 12 is this Danny Almonte all over again Uh, do we have to worry about birth certificates what's going on there Uh, I'll hit the main uh, conversation first we've seen them a little bit we we actually started watching the game of theirs last night and then we all started to conk out Uh, we know they've got a guy they've got a dude in the mound that throws hard not 80 not 80 and they've got you know they've got some good hitters and some really good speed so we're going to have to really try to keep these guys off off the bases if we can, and we're going to have to to do this against, or we're going to have to score runs against a guy who's going to be throwing uh, probably around seventy, which we have been able, we have been able to hit. If the guy throwing seventy is just chucking it in there, yeah, we're okay. If the guy throwing seventy is hitting his spots and he's right. got a good slider, right. that that's a tough day for okay. sure. Okay. We'll see what kind of day this guy's got on the mound for sure. The guy that was throwing 80 actually was on the losing team, amazingly enough. He did not start the game. He came in after they were down three runs and then shut the team out for the rest of it. So we weren't sure why he didn't start. But that guy was – he wasn't even that big of a kid. Just God-given cannon for an arm. Who's the, who's the Cody Webster that everybody's like, ooh, can't wait to see this guy. He's the, he's the star of all the stars on the American teams. So – I would say, for, for my limited exposure, I admittedly have not seen everybody, but we've seen Southern California, and to me, they are a, a juggernaut of a team. Okay. And these kids are big, big boys. These would be the ones you might want to check their their birth certificates. <laughs> I'm sure they're all fine, but it's just amazing when you look at our kids, who well, most of our kids have not gone through puberty yet, and these guys are done. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. But they've got a kid on their team, last name of, of, of Lappy, I think you say it, L-A-P-P-E, he, he hit like over 800 in his oh. league play. I haven't seen him get out yet when he's at the plate. And, and he's a big, he's probably six feet tall, oh, uh, throws. He pitched their game, their championship game, you now throws low 70s. He's right around the strike zone with a good curveball. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, we're, we're not unhappy that Southern California is on the, or the, the West region is on the other half of the bracket from us. <laughs> I want to know about. Christian Shuey's little league experiences. Did you grow up in Redmond? I know you went to Redmond High School, so you must have grown did, yeah. up in Redmond, Washington. Tell me about the Redmond Little League team that Christian Shuey played on at age 12. Oh, gosh. We thought we were good. Uh, <laughs> Redmond North. This was Redmond North, <laughs> and we made it. This was a tournament in uh, at Bellevue Federal Field, which is no longer as nice sure. as it used to be. Uh, sure. It's still there. Yeah. Bellevue Federal Field. And we made it all the way back. We had to come back and beat Kirkland American twice. And Kirkland American had a guy named Ryan Bickle, who grew up with also, he threw mid-70s, mm-hmm. literally, back then. Mm-hmm. And he, he was big. He's probably 6'2". And we had him beat in the first game. And we know if we beat him that in the second game, they won't have him. So we are up two to nothing. My dad would vividly tell tell you the story. Back then, it was the first year that you could substitute a guy out and put him back in. Our first baseman was going to come in to pitch if need be. So my assistant coach tells my dad, let's get this kid pulled off. So they pulled off the first baseman to put in the guy on the bench. Well, Three hours later, we're losing three to two, made by the first baseman that was brought into that game. Oh. Uh, so my dad would tell you still that that, that he has nightmares of oh. overthinking it for oh. sure. Oh. So we did not survive past district tournament. So what's a um, what's a reasonable goal 
for these kids in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Do you talk about that? I mean, look, there's only going to be one American team that wins it all. I don't know how it works. It used to be the American team plays the international team for the for the World Series. But is there a, okay, let's go out and do this. Is it just have fun or do we need to win a couple to, to accomplish our goal? Or have we already accomplished our goal just being here? You know, so many of these of the answers to those questions are, are things you kind of throw out after the tournament because – how can you ever say that we did not accomplish our goals based no matter what happens now? Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same token, we just had to keep adjusting our goals after every tournament that we've won. And we did our best to not bring up this as a possibility when we were just trying to survive our district tournament. We didn't really talk about this until, you know, we, we won region, but each, each tournament we've started, whether it be our district tournament, our state tournament, our regional tournament, our goal was just, a that next game and B obviously was to win that certain ter- win that certain tournament to move on. I, I don't want to say it's unrealistic to win because us at our best, we uh, we can be really good. We can hit velocity pitching and we see other teams and we're like we think we can hit that guy and he even though he's shutting down teams, but you haven't seen them face to face. And it's easy to say when you're scouting guys. Right. As a competitor, I'm going to be really really upset if we're two and outs for sure. But I will still look back at this as a, just an amazing successful run. I think you want to win a couple games to feel like you get that um, feeling that you deserve to be here mm-hmm. uh, out of your, or fear that you don't deserve to be here out, out of the way by a couple wins. You don't want to feel like you lucked out and just because you weren't in a tough region or something, that therefore you shouldn't be here because you want, you want to, you want to get that, uh, that identity of, of being a true little league world series team. Christian, you breezed through San Bernardino 33 to one, I think was the total no close games. I don't know if that's a function of how great you guys were or maybe a down year for other states in the competition. I know maybe I'm not supposed to say that, but you guys had more competition in the state tournament and the district tournament here than you did in San Bernardino. What does that say for Little League Baseball in the state of Washington? I agree that we uh, we had more time getting out of the district tournament. Didn't lose a game in state, didn't lose a game in region. And we came through the, the winner's bracket in district, and we, we got beat in that first game uh, with our neighboring league, which is RUG, which stands for Rose, Roosevelt University District Green Lake. They, they had our number. They had a pitcher who had a great game plan against us, and they beat us one nothing, and they scored the run in the bottom of the sixth inning to, to, to advance to a second championship game, and we had to and we barely eked out that second championship game. We were tied 4-4 in the final, wow. final game against them. Wow. I will say this though, our our bats are in a different place than they were then, and and we saw some pitchers that probably would have given us a tough time earlier. I also don't know if we were we weren't exposed to that velocity, but we're seeing high sixties pitcher guys throwing seventy in the state tournament and dis, and regionals, and we're just hitting them. We are hitting them, and we weren't quite hitting the velocity. I kept kind of getting angry with my guys early in that district tournament, but we'd see a guy throw him in sixties. He was shutting us down. And I was very much expressing that if we, if our goal is beyond this, we've got to be able to hit velocity. I had kind of curtailed our practice regimen to a really amping up the pitch machine to throw in 70, low seventies at these guys. And it was a struggle at first. We had some really, some guys in tier, after batting practice guys are in tears because they're not hitting the ball. And you, but you do this, you keep doing it enough times and we change speeds throughout the day on them, but they all of a sudden they're hitting it. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, we're crushing 70 off the pitch machine. And again, I know it's just a pitching machine, but the 
fact of the matter is we just got used to velocity. Uh, we were just talking at lunch how if we if we could go back, we think we would have probably done a little better in that district tournament based on where we're at now. We just think the bats have come alive. I don't want to imply that the competition is less. I think we have hit our stride, and our bats have finally shown what I knew we always had. I think that we're just playing at the level which we always knew that we could. Ladies and gentlemen, he's Christian Shuey. He was a, a terrific catcher, a little bit of an undersized catcher, I'd say, maybe, at the University yeah, of Washington. Uh, yeah. Yes. All Pac-10, the 37th round selection of the Seattle Mariners. I think I've got that straight. He's a dentist in town. I got to go, Christian. I'm feeling a, a toothache coming on, so I'm going to let you go. <laughs> and uh, I just want to express from all of us, all of us back here that we're really proud of you guys, and we're all going to be watching, and it's not really going to matter what you do. You've already are uh, a huge success in all of our eyes. So represent the great state of Washington in the best way possible starting on Thursday. And we greatly appreciate your time here on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks so very much, Christian. Thank you for having me, Mitch. Greatly appreciate it. Hey, let's check in with the president of Zeke's Pizza, Mr. Dan Black. Hiya, Dan. How's everything going over there? Doing good, Mitch. How are the eastern spots, the two spots that are furthest away from headquarters, Spokane and Boise doing? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. We didn't quite know how difficult that was going to be and how much the brand would be known and stuff. And it's been great. The new location on the outskirts of Boise and Eagle is just going crazy. And we were happy that, you know, there's a lot of people that knew about Zeke's down there. And, you know, there's a lot of people that don't still. And, and we're working on that. But the location's been busy. It's got a great patio. So as summer kicks in there, it's getting even more amped up. Same thing in Spokane. They have a great patio. It got really popular for Gonzaga basketball games mm -hmm. in particular and your favorite <laughs> basketball coach on earth. Um, but, you yeah, know, so no, we're, we've been, We've been really happy with the two locations that are, you know, really outside of our core. So, so far, so good. I need a summertime beer selection. I understand you've got two new collaborations in your vast library at Zeke's. Yeah, no, we've got two awesome ones this summer. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, what we call collabs a lot, which is just a fancy term for saying that we have relationships with most of the great breweries in the Northwest and they often brew beers that are exclusive to us. And we call those collabs. And so when we say collab, it just means that it's a beer that really you can only get at Zeke's and a brewery. One's already going. It's called the Reach Pilsner, and it's got a good backstory. I think I've mentioned that Tom and Doug founded Zeke's because they didn't like working for Arthur Anderson and writing code. And of course, they knew that the Internet and computers would never be big anyway. So they started <laughs> started a pizza company. But, you know, part of the reason they started their own business so they could windsurf at the gorge. And the Reach actually refers to a stretch of the Columbia where they windsurf. And our partner on that is a brewery called ferment the head brewer down there is really great at pilsners and we like pilsners because they're easy drinking they're low alcohol even you could handle a couple of those <laughs> and so uh so the reach pilsners going right now it's an easy drinking summer beer and then we're doing a re-rack of the one we did with fremont brewing last summer so in july we'll have another version of the z side ipa which will definitely be too aggressive for you mitch so stay away from that one <laughs> so yeah we got the pilsner going right now the reach pilsner and then we got z side coming up in july and they're both really good it's quite a selection of beer at zeke's pizza you know zeke's pizza for for their great northwest style crust and pizza but boy what a beer selection that continues to grow and grow we love zeke's pizza an incredible partner of mitch unfiltered homegrown in the northwest unfiltered 
takes the snap, looks left, swings the head back to the center. Flag on the play, and it's caught for a Seattle Seahawks touchdown in very, very claustrophobic situation as Locke goes back to pass. Shoots one left, Jake Bobo. Episode 250 continues with some Seahawks talk, ESPN.com, and Mitch Unfiltered No Table participant Brady Henderson to help us understand if we learned anything from the Vikings game. Hello, Brady. Thanks for being back on. Good to be back, Mitch. How you doing? I'm doing well. Let's start right there. Three things that you learned from Vikings Seahawks preseason game number one, and I don't think you're allowed to say... One of the things I learned is that you don't learn anything from preseason game number one. <laughs> it, it can be hard to learn things from preseason games when you're watching guys, you know, deep into the second half of those games that, you know, probably aren't going to be on the team or even the practice squad. But I will give you three things. Mitch. Okay. The first thing is that Drew Locke can play. I know he didn't play a single snap last season. I know there was a lot of skepticism when the Seahawks acquired him and the talk was that, you know, they expected him to be their starter, which they did before Geno Smith won that job. Uh, but the guy's got a lot of tools, and you really saw them uh, last night. I think even more so than you saw in the preseason last year when he was up and down in the two games that he played, uh, then missed the other game with COVID. But you see the arm strength. You see the ability to make throws on the run. Mm-hmm. You see the ability to get out of the pocket. And you saw the accuracy there, 17 at 24. That's a, a Geno Smith-esque uh, efficiency there, about 17. 70% if my journalist math is correct. Yes, yes. <clears throat> Which a lot, a lot of times, as you know, it's not. 191 no. yards, two touchdowns, sort of a tough luck interception that got tipped at the line of scrimmage. So, look, I don't know if Drew Locke was a starter. I, I don't really know where he would rank of uh, 1 to 32. But in terms of backups, he's probably uh, you know up there among the okay. better backups in the two NFL. Two follow-ups before you go to thing number two that you learned from the preseason game. Number one, he didn't do it with the regular guys around him. He wasn't throwing to the main wide receivers, at least two of the main wide receivers. That's first of all. Second of all, would you say that they're okay, let's say if Geno went down and Drew Locke had to play for a month for four games, obviously would depend on where in the schedule they were and who the opponents were, but would the Seahawks be okay in that situation? Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, like you said, depending on who they play, but yeah, I mean, remember, this is a guy who uh, most people, if not, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't know if you could say everybody, but a lot of people in that organization thought that he was going to be the starter last year before Geno Smith beat him out, and, you know, I think he's got a good mix of experience he has been a starter before you know it was obviously up and down in Denver but he does it's it's not like you'd throw him in there and it'd be a, a rookie who you would worry about the moment being too big for him he does have quite a few starts under his belt and he's still young enough with that talent uh, for there to be some developmental upside there so yeah I, I think they would be okay he could All keep right. them afloat items number two and three. Item number two, Mitch, is that the battle for those two, probably two, maybe three wide receiver spots behind the obvious top three of DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, it's wide open. It's been wide open, and I think it was even more wide open uh, when D. Eskridge went out uh, with that injury. Now, we already knew he was going to miss the first six games uh, while he's serving a suspension, but now he's going to be out, according to Pete Carroll, for maybe a few weeks with the knee injury that he suffered. Now, 
remember that suspension begins in week one. So if he's out for three weeks with that knee injury, we're not going to see him until the start of week eight when he comes back from that suspension. And so um, he already knew that he was probably going to be their number four receiver, assuming he stayed healthy. And then the suspension came. So they're going to have to find a new number four receiver. You would think Derek Young, but he's battling something. And, and it sounds like they're still not quite sure if that's a sports hernia. And if that's a sports hernia, that's going to be a few weeks. And so he's may not be ready by the start of the season. So all of a sudden you may have the best trio of wide receivers in the NFL with the top three guys. But it's a huge mystery as to who's going to be the four and five and maybe six. Jake Jake Bobo. Bobo, Yeah, I mean, he's got a shot. He has been among the undrafted rookies. I would say him and Jonathan Sutherland, uh, the safety from Penn State, have been the two standout guys. And, you know, maybe we could talk more about Bobo because I think it's fascinating when you consider how slow his 40 time is. (laughs) Can I beat him? I mean, I I don't know if you could beat him, but I'm telling you, Mitch, you and I both know people who were like, you know, washed up high school athletes who were good athletes 20 years ago. They're now, you know, selling insurance or, you know, working some sort of office job that could give him a run for his money in terms of the 40. The 40 time was was 499 at his UCLA Pro Day. 499. You know, compare that to, you know, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Those guys are in the high four threes. I'll give you even a, a bit more context on this just because I think it's so remarkable. And I, and I don't say any of this to poke fun at the guy. I say this really to put it in perspective how amazing it is that we're talking about him maybe even making a team, maybe the practice squad, but possibly even the 53-man roster despite having an exceptionally slow 40 time. I, I was talking to a guy I know who scouts in the CFL. I'm not going to say his name, but he's a scout in the CFL. And he was saying that you know they typically look for wide receivers who run in you know the the 4-7 range because they're otherwise good players who can catch and block and do everything and run routes but they just don't that you know 4-7 is not fast enough for the NFL so those guys end up you know trying to play in Canada so a 49940 <laughs> would be slow by the Canadian Football League standards and yet uh, here we are this guy he's getting open all the time in practice um you know I all know whenever you're talking about a, a wide receiver making the team as like the number five or six guy it's always going to come down to special teams and I do wonder if the 40 time would hurt him on special teams because you know are you going to have him run down covering kicks mm-hmm. you to have him run you know covering punts or whatever like you still need speed to do that but just as a wide receiver i'm telling amazing. you it's amazing that he can get open i think walter that. jones back in the day ran a quicker 40 coming out of florida state than 499 yeah, i'm not sure about that but i yeah towing a semi truck behind him too <laughs> in his training yeah all right number three Number three is the center battle. And I know that's typically not like the most interesting topic. Yeah. 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 But given the history there and how much of a revolving door that's been in Seattle and just how many guys they've had there over the years, I think the history adds some intrigue there. And it's clear right now that Evan Brown is ahead of Olu Oluwatimi. Uh, the rookie fifth round pick from Michigan. And that's that's sort of been the case. But, you know, Ola with Timmy, I think he banged up his uh, elbow in the preseason game last week, the first preseason game. So he's uh, going to miss a few days of practice. But even before that, okay. uh, Evan Brown was in the lead there. And so <clears throat> it's too early to call it. Uh, but if the season starts today, which it doesn't, so it's crazy that we're even saying that. Uh-huh, but if the season uh-huh. were to start today, yeah. you'd see Evan Brown at center. Quickly, I know it's early in the week. Any guesses as to who we see in game two that we may not have seen in game one? 
Yeah, I still don't think we're going to see Devin Witherspoon, uh, the fifth overall pick, who's still battling a hamstring injury. Now he he could come back before then. Uh, he did How not. How about practice offensive guys like Geno and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf? Might we see Kenneth Walker? More start. How about the tackles, the offensive tackles? Will we see more of those guys? I'm just guessing. I'm asking. Yeah, it's 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 tough to say because some of those guys are coming off injuries and we don't know if they're going to be ready. And then some of those are just coaches' decisions where we're kind of seeing the evolution of how teams are approaching things with the preseason. Now that there's three games as opposed to four, right? And in the past, you would see you know those the starters play some. Uh, in the first three games and quite a bit in the third game, and then they wouldn't play it all in the fourth game. But it's all sort of it's tough to say now. You know, Ken Walker, the third, did return to practice on Saturday. Uh, he was back there on Sunday as well, still not doing any team exercises. So he's going to be the one to watch later this week and, and okay. see if he's been ramped up enough back into the you know team drills and contact and all that. Uh, but it would not surprise me if they give him another game off. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. You mentioned the name Devin Witherspoon, so let's go there. He has been a focal point of conversation the entire training camp, both present and when absent. He was the number five overall pick. He's been nicked up. Now they're talking about potentially moving him inside to slot Brady. Some are reading into these things, injuries, slot, as reason for concern that maybe Schneider would like to have that pick all over again. Is it way too early? Are we getting way too ahead of ourselves wondering about Witherspoon? Yeah, I, I don't think they would like that pick over again for a couple of reasons. One, I, I think they still like what they have seen from him. And two, you know, they were in a spot at, at the fifth overall pick. And I do think it's worth sort of looking back at, at how that all came together. They were at a spot there where they they basically liked uh, Will Anderson Jr. and Devin Witherspoon, and those were the only two guys that they would have not traded out from number five overall. So if one of those two guys was there, and I do think that Will Anderson Jr., the outside linebacker from Alabama, was their top guy. Right. If both those guys were gone, they would have traded out because they didn't want to take anybody else with the fifth overall pick. And so when you ask, you know, would they do it over? I still don't think so because I don't think there's anybody Do there they, that they would have right, So liked. let me ask it a different way. Do you think they still see the things in Devin Witherspoon today yes. that they saw when they loved him as the fifth overall pick? I do. I do. Yes. Okay. And and a, a big part of what's happening now, it, it's not just Devin Witherspoon. It's not really about him. I think it's as much about Mike Jackson. And the fact that he has looked really good. And, you know, again, going back to the decision that they made to draft Witherspoon, that wasn't they, they didn't go into that draft thinking, oh, gosh, you've got to upgrade from Mike Jackson. It really wasn't about Mike Jackson. It was about a blue chip guy that you're just never going to get a chance to take when you're picking in the 20s. And regardless of what you already have there at cornerback, he is just too good to pass up, especially considering there was nobody else they really liked there. So that pick was not about Mike Jackson. It was about Devin Witherspoon. And, you know, as it as it turns out, Mike Jackson looks like he has taken a, a nice jump from last year, his first time as a starter uh, to this year. And he was the standout guy of the spring and he is not giving that job up easily. And so they have been working Witherspoon inside really since late in the spring. And the idea there is, I think it's partly that 
look, Jackson, you want to get Jackson on the field. You don't want to take him off the field. And also what Devin Witherspoon does best, the skills that he has in terms of the instincts, uh, the football smarts, the willingness to tackle and just how quickly he processes things. Those are all skills that really play well in the slot because, you know, cornerbacks will tell you everything happens so much faster there compared to on the outside when you just have more time to but react. But they didn't so, draft him to be the slot. They did not. No. And so there are a lot of people that are wondering if on opening day, when there's two corners out there, it's Jackson and Tariq Woolen, and then the third corner to come in is Witherspoon in the slot, is that an editorial necessarily about the quality of the fifth overall pick? I do get the point. Like when you draft a guy fifth overall, you would expect him to be a full-time starter. Now, the flip side of that is, you know, sometimes you draft a, an edge rusher and they're not on the field. He might end up being on the field if he's the nickelback and not the starter on the left side. He might end up being on the field and playing just as many snaps as an edge rusher right. who, you know, those All guys right. rotate. So the other thing I would say there is that it's not entirely out of the question that he ends up winning both jobs. jobs. Okay. Now, I do think that's becoming less and less likely because that would be so much to put on anybody's plate, let yeah. alone a rookie, let alone right. a rookie who has now missed, you know, some You're time talking about two day lining holdout. up on the outside and then shifting in when they go to three and Jackson comes in and plays on the outside at that. Point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if you if you remember the 2017 season, they did that for at least for a little bit with Shaquille Griffin and Jeremy Lane. Okay. Jeremy Lane was the starter on the outside and then in nickel, they moved him inside, brought Shaquille Griffin in on the outside. Eventually, Griffin just became the starter there. But that, there is some precedent there mm -hmm. for that. How how closely, Brady, are we going to watch in Seattle Jalen Carter and the Philadelphia Eagles and how good he is and how good of a citizen he is and what he becomes? Are we going to be forever tangled in that whole thing because of the Seahawks position on him in the draft? Oh, absolutely. Off the field stuff aside, I think most people thought, myself included, that he was the no-brainer pick for them, even, you know, and it was such a uh, seemingly a good fit football-wise that you would e maybe even wonder, okay, can they live with some of the off-field stuff just because he is such a talent, seemingly, at the position of such a great need for them. Crazy. Now, here's what I will say. I, I have heard from people in the building that not only was there big-time concern just about the individual for all of the reasons that you, know, you would assume based on mm -hmm. the off-the-field issues that he's gotten into, they also just didn't think that he was as much of a stud of a football player as oh. some of the draft analysts oh. thought. And they thought that he uh, was kind of streaky, you know, just kind of flashed and was great at times, but not consistent. Now, I certainly don't think that that was the consensus in the building. And a lot of times this falls under different parts of the building. Coaches feel one way, scouts feel another way. And I do wonder if that was part of the reason why you saw so many conflicting reports going into the draft about, oh, Seattle loves Jalen Carter. Oh, Seattle's not going to take Jalen Carter. I wonder if people who are reporting that were just talking oh, to different, different people, people in the building. Yeah. Look, regardless of, of what he is now, how good of a player he is, whether or not he stays in trouble, that is going to be the guy that a lot of Seahawks fans are naturally going to keep an eye on myself. I would put myself in that group as well. So then the nat natural next question is, is this defensive tackle position going to be an issue all year? Are you and I and the no table going to be talking about it incessantly after games the whole year? Because they didn't use what I would call premium picks. They didn't use substantial free agent dollars. They typically don't anyway. 
and they didn't use trades. So they didn't use those higher end resources during the offseason to ultimately address that position of need. Where are we now as we ready for the regular season opener? Well, I mean, they they, they sort of did. They they I know Draymond Jones is a defensive end, but you know, when you're talking interior defensive linemen, they're really counting on him to be the big difference maker. And they paid him a boatload of money. And I've I've sure them, mentioned this before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even for anybody's standards, yeah. that was a 17 yeah. and change million dollar a year contract. Easily the most money they've spent uh, on a, on another team's free agent under Pete Carroll and John Schneider. And so they really need him to be a player. And these guys are just getting in pads as of a week or so ago. And it's hard to tell what you've got in a guy, defensive lineman, especially when they're just in helmets and shorts and everything. But they're going to need him to be a big time factor for them for the reasons you mentioned. They don't really seemingly have any other huge difference makers along the interior of that defensive line. Jaron Reed has been that in his career, but you know, it's can you expect him to be the 10 sack guy that he was five years ago in Seattle? I, I think that might be asking a lot. Last question for this week with Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider. I joked on last week's podcast that I go days and sometimes a week forgetting that Jamal Adams is even on the team. And... We're moving closer and closer, theoretically, to when he's going to be healthy again and available to the Seattle Seahawks. In the best case scenario, what role does he play? How does it change everything? They've kind of moved on without moving on. They've moved on because they've got new guys and they've got other guys at the safety position, but they haven't moved on because Jamal Adams is still on the roster. So, well, how does it all fit together if somehow, by some miracle, he's able to play at some decent level? The way it fits together, Mitch, is that you're going to see him basically playing weak side linebacker, like a lot, a lot. Really? Yeah, so you're going to see him in passing situations line up next to Bobby Wagner. They're going to bring Julian Love in as the third safety. And, and by the way, you know Adams may not be ready by the start of the season, so you, Julian Love may end up being the starter next to Diggs for the first however many games. But you know Adams has still got to come off PUP. Whenever it is that he comes back, he's basically you know going to play a lot of weak side linebacker. And if you, that, I think I've mentioned this before, but that was the plan last year uh, going into that season, and they felt like that was the way to get him back to his 2020 form when he had all those sacks uh, is is you play him closer to the line of scrimmage, you create more favorable blitzing situations, you take him out of those pass coverage situations where his you know weakness gets exposed there and you get him doing what he does best, which is playing sideline to sideline, right, right. stopping the run, being a, a really forceful tackler and blitzing the quarterback. And look at what they did with him in 2020. They, they created a lot of really favorable blitzing matchups for him. What happened the next offseason in 2021 or the next season in 2021? Remember, he didn't have a single sack in 12 games. What what really happened there? Did Jamal Adams just forget how to rush the passer over the course of one offseason? No, of course not. What happened was the Seahawks coaching staff didn't do a good enough job of adjusting to how opposing offenses adjusted to them. They started making him a focal point of their protection plan, and the Seahawks just didn't do a good enough job of adjusting back. So the whole idea going into last season was moving him to linebacker. You can move him around more before the snap, and you can create those favorable blitzing situations. Remember the play where he got hurt in the first half of the Denver game? He was basically playing weak side linebacker right next to Jordan Brooks. So that's what you're going to see whenever he gets back on the field. Cowboys this week in exhibition Game number two, and we'll 
Will Brady Henderson of ESPN.com be better or worse in the three things that he learned from the Dallas Cowboys game than he was on this particular episode of Mitch Unfiltered? That's the question. It's preseason for everybody, Mitch. I'm just ramping my way up to when we're doing this a couple times a week. Follow him on Twitter. He's the man. Thank you, Brady. All right. Thanks, Mitch. It's been a while since we caught up with Jordan Flowers, my main man of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. How's everything going in Jordan's world? Hey, Mitch, it's going fantastic. I'm uh, chasing old Mitchie in the <laughs> Manager of the Year Award for Little League Baseball. How many teams you got over there? You know, I was the manager of two, both my 10 and 8-year-old. Uh-huh. And I got to say... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be giving you a run for your money, Combined man. Combined record? Oh, gosh. We only lost probably six games. Oh, that's six season. more than I lose. I don't lose. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. All right, let's talk about the market, the buying and selling market. It's not easy these days, but it's still doable, especially for home buyers. Give us your analysis, Jordan. Absolutely. Uh, inventory is still a little tight, but better than it was. But we are winning a lot of offers and using that 2-1 buy-down program we've talked about. Tell me about that program. Yes. So basically what we do is we are negotiating with the sellers, getting a price that they want, getting a credit towards uh, closing costs for our buyers. And they use that credit to then temporarily buy down the interest rate for the first two years of the home. So we get through this kind of elevated interest rate period with a 2% lower rate than what market is at. Are people still buying second homes and investment pieces? And what do you have to offer those types of clients? Yeah. People are buying in Arizona, California, Eastern Washington, kind of all over. We're helping people buy second homes and investment properties. We've got a couple great options for the investment property buyer, uh, especially uh, using that debt service underwriting ratio that we've talked about in the past where they don't even need to provide tax returns. Really what we look for is qualifying our buyers off of the cash flow of the property. So it's a great program right now for people looking to pick up investment properties at good prices get an income-producing property. Is there a way to have a best guess of what the next six months or a year look like? Does Jordan Flowers have a crystal ball? <laughs> I thought I had a crystal ball, but you know. <laughs> Is it Ernie Zampezi's story? I'm not going to say when. I'm just going to know it's coming, right? Like, we're going to get through this, and they're coming back down. I think I think we should expect for the rest of this year rates to maintain in the 6% range. Maybe we see them by the end of the year get back down in the fives. But I will say when they do come back into the low sixes to mid fives, it will, again, open up floodgates for buyers and for sellers bringing properties on. So there is pent-up demand. It's sitting there, and it's just we're, we're waiting. Well, I've always loved Jordan Flowers and his team at uh, both companies, not Cross Country Mortgage, the Woodenville office, because they're willing to take your phone call and be creative. Think outside the box. And to reach you on a phone that doesn't have a full voicemail, Jordan Flowers? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I just got a new phone. Okay. My kids like to tease me that I'm the no upgrader. Okay. I don't upgrade my phone. Okay. I've had the same one for six years. All right. And I've now upgraded and I'm setting up the voicemails. Everything's going to be Phone number? Here. Same phone number? Give us the number, please. 425-890-2957 is the best one to reach me on. The Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage and J-Flow, Jordan Flowers, without guidance. Guys like him and companies like theirs, where would Mitch Unfiltered be? Cross Country Mortgage.
Unfiltered. Play fake, look out. Brink has to unload. He's got a man wide open. Touchdown, Cougars. Gibson with the score. Our next guest is a Eugene, Oregon native who went on to break virtually every Washington State University passing record that there is. Yards, touchdowns, completions, you name it. I want to know about interceptions in a second. After a career (laughs) in the CFL, he finds himself coaching the position, mentoring and talking Washington State football on the Cougar Radio Network. Here he is. Alex Brink. How are you, Alex? You know what, Mitch? I'm doing awesome, man. Thank you for having me. I see a uh, Husky pennant over your shoulder there. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just reminiscing about my time, you know, over there at Mont Lake, you know, some uh, good times, some good times. Three and one. You want to start there? I had that later on. <laughs> we can do it later. Let, let me do it later. Let me just uh, tell you a little bit about me. I, I'm a Floridian. I'm out here about 30 years. I've got a kid who goes to the University of Washington. I'm not emotionally invested <laughs> in Washington, despite the banner over over Fair my enough. over my right shoulder. So just to keep your head in check, how many interceptions did you throw and where do you rank on the Washington State interception? I want to know how many interceptions you threw in the 531-yard game against Oregon yeah. State. Do you remember that? Yeah. Game? yeah. I'm glad. No, I actually am glad we start there. And you know what? The, it's CTE, right? So you got those things where you just can't – some things you can't recollect. No, in all honesty, what's funny is I played for Tim Rosenbaugh, who played at the position of Washington State, right? Yeah. And his junior – his sophomore year, I believe, he, he led the nation in interceptions. It was like 26 or something. You know, it was, it was a lot. So after that game, you mentioned 531 yards, lost a heartbreaker at Oregon State, the four interceptions. You know, I come in the next morning and I'm I'm young, I'm a sophomore, and I was just, I, you know, you don't know what to feel, what to think. And he's got the record book open and he's got his name highlighted there. And he's like, you know what, bud? I've been through it. I've felt it. Uh-huh. And then, you know what? The uh-huh. next year, the next year, I was number one in the supplemental draft. We beat UCLA, number one in the country. You know, so like I was lucky to play for a guy like that, right? Well, just so you know that I'm not an all around bad guy bringing up the interceptions first. Here's what I want to talk about. You haven't been asked about this probably in 25 years, maybe more. I want to know about the perfect game. At Sheldon High School, uh, yeah. on the mound, the man yeah. who was thirty-five and three on the mound at Sheldon High, and you, I wonder about the perfect game. Who'd you play against? Some twelve-year-old team? No, no, it was a league game. Willamette High School was a league game, and you know what? I, in a different life, I would be playing baseball. There is no doubt about really? it. My dad, my my dad was a college baseball player. I grew up. Baseball was my first love. It was the whole. It was the whole thing. I'm a Red Sox fan. My dad's from New England, and like. You know, it was baseball was my passion. And then I got into when I got to high school as a freshman, you know, football kind of, you know, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I started playing quarterback, had some success, played varsity baseball as a freshman. But then for whatever reason, going into my sophomore year, I was like, I want to be a football. I'm going to do this. And so instead of playing summer baseball, I dove into football. And so that became where all my extra time went. But I still obviously played baseball in the spring and I was, I, I was, I was a good baseball player. And there was a, there's a world where, you know, I kind of look back and like, God, it would have been fun to pursue you get scout- that. But. Scouted, drafted. Yeah. No, did you get drafted? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't get drafted. I was, um, 
I was scouted and I committed to Washington state university, you know, before my senior year of baseball. And so all the organizations, I would have been like a mid to late round draft pick. You know, I, I think I was like a 89 or 90 off the mound, like nothing crazy off the mound. And so it was like, Hey, we'll take you, but are you going to go play football? And I said, yes. And so the closest I came was, I was after my CFL career, I was kind of trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, but I wasn't done playing sports. And I went and did some workouts um, nice. for scouts in, in the area. And I was going to go to spring training with the Red Sox. And just, it was going to be like a more, it was like very ceremony. Like yeah, it was very yeah. like, yeah. it was going to be like, there was no shot, but I wanted to go do it. And, so, um, yeah. yeah. I ended up moving on with life. Did you ever think about trying to play baseball at Washington State while you played football? Could you have done that yeah. or not? Has anybody done that? Well, I did. I thought about it and I was very, very close. So actually, my. You know, I got to Washington State, and the head baseball coach at that time, Donnie Marbit, I had gotten to know pretty well, had a bunch of buddies on the team. And, I, you know, I was the guy ahead of me, Josh Swagger, was only a year ahead of me. And so he ended up starting my redshirt freshman year. He was the starter. And so I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to, you know, I may not play for four years, right? And, um, you know, so I thought very strongly that next spring about going out for baseball. Um, and then he got hurt. And so I played a couple games and then I was like, well, Hey, can I play baseball? They're like, no, you got to be all in on obviously spring football. So I didn't end up going out for the team. I was going to go out for the team. You know, I talked to coach Marvin about it, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, it would have been, that would have mm -hmm. been fun, but again, wow. another life. Gosh, yeah. multi-talented. I guess before we get off the baseball thing, I need to know because I just, I can't get my arms around certain things and then I get hung up on them. How does a guy from Eugene, Oregon become a Boston Red Sox fan? That's not, it's, it's, that's actually, it's so true. that may be worse than you telling me that you played four years and went three and one in the Apple Cup for guys. Yeah, How'd it. you become I, a I Boston Red? You're not even a Seattle Mariner fan? No, nothing? I, I know it. I know it. No, my dad was, uh, my dad's from New Hampshire. He's from Hanover, New Hampshire. Okay. So he grew up, right. like, he grew up a Sox fan. By extension, I grew up a Sox fan. And then, I mean, I lived like, I lived Oh four. Like I was like all in like all of that time and that angst leading up to it. And yeah. then all the good years and then kind of back to the angst now. So like, I've, you know, I've been through the journey. And so that's where, that's where the fandom comes from. What's been the last week or 10 days like for a guy who is uh, synonymous with Washington state has a lot of records at quarterback. I'm sure you've been working the phones with bump and all, whoever it was that your teammates were and all your friends and family that wa went to Washington state. Can you characterize what those conversations have been like between you and your buddies? Yeah, actually, you know, I had a call with Michael Bumpus and Jed Collins, two guys I played with who were super involved in the program just yesterday. I mean, and, oh, and there are uh, many more. And it's a lot of, I think, frustration is kind of the first spot, right? Like it's it's a little bit of how did we get here? You know, what is next? I think you see a lot of movement and conversations happening around you and your school's not really in those conversations. And so that's a little hard, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, you kind of want to know. And I think Washington State's in this weird spot where you just don't know. And that's a that's a tough spot. Um, you know, there's also the recognition of like, yeah, like we get that, you know, we're kind of on the outside of this thing, um, you know, from a network perspective, but at the same time, you turn on game day every day, like I do every Saturday, like I do. And what are they talking about every Saturday? Washington state waving the flag. They have a commercial that is tied to Tom pounds and Washington state raising the flag. The best game day experience. Every one of that panel has said they had is in Pullman at the Washington state, Oregon game. And so part of me is like, well, yeah, we might be on the outside looking in, but 
that's where the frustration is that the Washington state brand carries a lot of weight throughout the country, um, you know, from a fan perspective. So, you know, it is a little that I think that's a little tough. And so then now you're trying to figure out, well, what is next, right? Mm -hmm. Because the, for the program, there's some very real dollars and cents conversations that, um, you know, change the trajectory of where you're at. If you're in the mountain West versus say the big 12, um, and I think we're really looking at, and this is a broader take, but I think we're looking at what is, what is this for the next six years? Cause in, in 2030, this is all going to change again. And it's probably going to be, you know, a lot of people that are currently in the club are going to get left out of the club again. And so Washington state probably won't be in that one, right. but it's really like, what is right. the next, what does the next six years look like? And how do you prepare for that kind of inevitable future? I guess. Alex, you use the word frustrated. I don't know if you use the word angry when you're talking to your buddies. Did you feel like Washington owed Washington State something? Did you feel like the University of Washington had a responsibility to protect their brothers on the other side of the state or not? No, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I mean, look, in the end, and, and you know, I kind of mentioned this on some things I've put, said publicly, is like I'm not naive enough to believe that everybody was supposed to hold hands and protect each other through all this. Right. I mean, again, we're talking about dollars and cents. Like we have, you know, there's operating budgets and there's debt service payments and there's all these things that have to happen for these athletic departments to continue to be viable moving forward. So when a deal got presented to these presidents and athletic directors and chancellors and everybody that didn't match up with the line items in their budget. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't blame anybody for, for making the moves they made. I think, you know, when you really think of step back and think about it, it's like, how, how did the last 12 to 18 months transpire? Because it's hard to imagine. And this is where, and it goes from frustration to sadness that, you know, a hundred plus year league with so much history and so many, so many great things, could go by the wayside because you've had conference realignment that happens, but like core power five leagues dissolving. So this isn't the Southwest conference, right? This is not one of those situations. You're talking about a lot happening here. And, and it, you know, you go back to USC, UCLA leaving that obviously started to open the floodgates and then everything else after it. But mm -hmm. the frustration and sadness of where it is today and, and the uncertainty is, is really hard to wrap your head around. Alex, I've used the Alex Rodriguez analogy when he left the Seattle Mariners to go play for the Texas Rangers for $252 million guaranteed. And I think the, the best Mariners offer at that point was about $85 million. And we all just threw a hissy fit and pounded our hands and threw dollars at him, Monopoly dollars, when he came back in and booed him. And I said at the time, and I say it now, you know, he was faced with a real-life situation. I'm not a huge A-Rod guy, but how many of us would have truly turned down $252 million guaranteed to stay for 80? Now, the answer to that is, well, Washington may not have been able to afford to stay on that Apple TV deal. Alex certainly could have lived on 85 or $90 million. The more I look at that Apple TV deal, 20 or 23 per school, but... It was shaky. There was no linear TV. I think it was linked to how many subscriptions the Pac-12 were able to sell of Apple TV product. And God, it just looked so shaky to me that I, I wonder if I'm the president of Oregon or Washington. I just had no choice, at least for the next five years, to take this money from the Big Ten. Is that faulty way of thinking or not? 
don't think it's faulty. I mean, I think, you know, in leadership positions, you get presented with options and you know, you kind of say, Hey, do I have bird in hand or two in the bush? Right. Do I, do I have what I need or at least close to what I need? I'm going to make that decision for say the whole, right. Or my whole, I own my own businesses. I operate, I get it. Like that's why I say the the line items don't add up. Like that's a problem. Some of the issue that I see with it is that you're taking a big 10 deal at a partial partial share for the next six years right. with the hope, with the hope that you're going to be a full share member. They're telling you, right. The big 10 promising you that, yeah, you're going to be sure you're going to be a full share member. Like, of course, like, and that may all be true. Like that might be true, but it's not guaranteed either. And if you're going to sit here and say like, well, I'm going to take 30 million now or 32 million now, with the hope of making 70 in six years, you're still rolling the dice. And I personally, and again, this is more of like a macro kind of conversation. I personally believe that anything related to Apple is going to be better than anything related to Fox or ESPN in the long term. And I think to your point, you might not be able to afford that today. And that's fine. But the thing I read, I thought was super interesting. I was reading today. It wasn't that they couldn't get a linear TV partner to that Apple deal. Apple didn't want a linear TV partner. And that to me gets me excited because that's them saying like, no, nah, we, we can do this. We don't need the other, we don't need these other partners. Now, is that an issue for the school? Do they think there's issues with, um, you know, the ability to be visible and that like, again, like all those things are very real conversations. I just think that, you know, if I'm George Klaubkoff and I'm kind of packed with leadership on these things, you would have had to really sell and show the option, like the opportunity there. And it just felt so rushed in the end. Right. Like, I don't know that that opportunity was really communicated properly. And in the end, like, should they Oregon and Washington have taken it? I probably not to your point, but like, I also think we're going to look back and somebody's going to have an Apple TV deal and it's going to be a really good thing long-term. And, but as you said, could anybody Washington state, Washington, Oregon afford to not be on linear TV over the next, let's say, two or three years. For, I mean, they'd, it'd be a disappearing act almost with all of these other schools getting all of this primetime spots on TV. Are we in a world right now where we're ready to have schools like Washington and Oregon not be on linear television? Well, I mean, so there's a couple things that I, I think about that. The Pac-12 is playing, I mean, what's the number, half their games in a time window that nobody's seen anyway across the country. And the people that are seeing it on the West coast want to see it. And that's where I, my argument was always people sit and tell me, right. When I was talking about the Apple TV deal, nobody, nobody's going to subscribe to it. Nobody's going to watch it. But in the same breath, they're like, Oh, everybody's going to watch college football forever. And always college football is not going to, you know, right. Like college football is not, not going to, yeah. not going away. And even when it goes to this 32 or 36 team pseudo NFL model, that's for sure going to happen in the next six to 10 years. They said, oh, well, every, no, people are going to watch it. People want to watch college football. And I'm like, well, if you're telling me that, then if you're telling me that's going to happen, then people are going to tune in to football wherever it exists, right? And I think now, is it less than linear TV? Sure, because people just want to like click on the TV and watch it. But you weren't getting the same viewership on Pac-12 After Dark anyway, or even those late window games anyway. So I think it was viable. I think it was risky. And I, to your point, like there was real question marks. So I don't blame anybody for going in a different direction. But I think you could have charted something in new waters with a great brand and some incredible schools and some incredible things. And Oh, by the way, if I'm Washington, Oregon, 
I would have been sitting there in a power five conference with an automatic bid in the next playoff that pays me real money to go into that. And I would have been in a league. I could absolutely win consistently. And that's not the same now that you're in the big 10. So Washington state university president calls Alex and says, we're in with the situation that we're in Cal and Stanford are trying to go to the ACC. That may or may not happen. What should we do next, Alex? What should we do here at Washington state? What would you, what would be your advice? Well, I mean, I think the idea of holding the Pac-12 together is like very nostalgic and really like we all kind of want that for all of us that grew up in on West Coast sport and, and in the Pac want that. You know, the logistics of that are obviously really hard has already been played out, right? Do you keep the four, do you keep the four core schools? Do you go get SMU, Tulane, Boise, whatever? I mean, I don't, I don't know. It, that seems very far-fetched to me. The best case scenario for Washington State is you're trying to figure out how to get into the Big 12 because that to me is how you stay in that power five relevancy. You obviously get the dollars that you, that you need that we're talking about here. You know, you can create some semi-regional travel, you know, some semi-regional options for travel. And it's, you know, I think it's a good situation. Obviously, there's the conversations over the last week. There's a lot going on there and it's going to take a lot to get to that point. The team ends up, say the team ends up in the Mountain West Conference and or whatever that looks like. And it is on that Mountain West Conference deal. I mean, the, the the financial implications are huge. You go from a thirty million dollar plus TV, you know, TV revenue to five to seven million dollars. That's a problem competitively. Like Washington State would be in a good spot. They would have great facilities. They would have a great recruiting footprint. You know, but it's hard to win at any level, as you know everybody knows. So you know, but you probably competitively be in a good spot. Um, I just don't know how things shake out. Right once the financial side of it falls because that means budget cuts. That means personnel cuts. That means all sorts of things. Once emotions subside, any problem you think protecting the apple cup, I would imagine that game's going to be played no matter what. I would imagine the game gets played no matter what, but I, it, it's still going to have to be a home and home option. You know what I mean? I don't think it gets played in Seattle for like Pat Chun said that yesterday, but you know, I, I think for both, I, I mean, I don't know, again, it's a little bit depends how Washington state, like where they land, if they're a power five school, like, yeah, why not? Like, that's a fun, you know, it's a fun option. You know, how do you, I don't know if you played at the end of the, well, I guess you could play it at the end of the year still, but like, you know, you, so you do that for Washington, they really got to think about, do you really want to play Washington state? If they're in the mountain West, you know, that'd be an interesting, uh, that'd be an interesting conversation. So, I mean, I think the game gets played. I think both organizations, you know, got to look at it. Like Pat Chun said yesterday, you know, I believe is, Hey, it's, you know, you got to look at the business element of it, but it would make sense from a viewership standpoint, the fan standpoint, obviously the history to keep playing. The game. It has to stay in November, right? Yeah. I mean, I, to me, it would, I mean, I'm like trying to wrap my brain around the idea of like those late season, you know, those late season non-con games and, and, I don't know. I mean, honestly, off the top of my head, I don't know how often that happens and how that scheduling works um, specifically. But you know, you would like it to stay in that same in that same window. I mean, you would hate to play it in September. What would have happened in the forty two thirty five game if it were played in September? Would the same outcome have happened in your last <laughs> <Apple> Cup? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have been. Uh, well, yeah, I didn't play in an Apple Cup where it was particularly warm, so it would have been <laughs> nice to have a little sunshine. <laughs> but yeah, that was a fun one. Uh, all right, tell me about the uh, the TV show with Bump, the the Cougar TV show with Bump on Root Sports that's coming. When does it debut, and 
And what's it all about? Yeah. What's it going to be all about? Yeah, super excited. We're um, we're starting a show on route called Talking Cougars. Right now, there's a Talking Ducks and Talking Beavers. And, and Bump and I were talking. We're like, why isn't there Talking Cougs and Talking Huskies for that matter? Which I think there actually is going to be a Talking Huskies from what I heard. And so, you know, it'll be fun. It's an opportunity for, you know, Michael and I to share our thoughts on the team. We already do it, kind of spread it. You know, Michael's got his radio show there in, in Seattle. I do it on the on the Cougar Radio Network uh, with Matt Chaz. Now we had a chance to get together. Um, it's going to start the week leading up to week one. Uh, it's going to be 16 episodes, 30 minutes long. It's going to be a chance to talk, you know, review games, look ahead at games. We'll have guests on there. Um, we're, we're really, really excited about it. Title sponsors Flatstick Pub, which is just an awesome Cougon um and bars a uh, series of bars there uh, up in the seattle and, and washington area so fired up to have them on board um and yeah it's going to be great so please uh, talk out check out talking cougars on root sports starting at the end of the month here and you have a three-year-old and a seven-month-year-old right I do three and a half and seven months. So we are, uh, as I like to say, we're in the thick of it right now. My and, wife and, I. and in 10 years or 12 years, the three-year-old says, dad, what was your favorite moment? One moment as a college football player at Washington state university. Will you have to think hard about it or does one, one scene stand out to you? I get asked this question a lot. And I, I say, I say this in all seriousness, there's two, there's two moments and they, they are two moments for different reasons. Okay. The obvious is that 07 Apple cup. Like I can, you cannot take that moment, that feeling away of letting the ball go, seeing kind of Brandon flash and throwing that touchdown to win the game in the Apple cup. Right. I mean, my whole career was so up and down personally as a team, all these things and to like end like that, like nothing, you can't, you can't take that away. It's unbelievable. But I'm a kid from Eugene, Oregon. I was born and raised in Eugene. I lived 10 minutes from campus. I played high school football with Mike Bellotti, the head coach's son. I went to Oregon duck games when nobody was in those stands with my feet up on a cooler that my dad and I brought. And I didn't get a scholarship offer from the university of Oregon. So to say that I had various reasons, I mean, I think, come on, why, why candidly, candidly, it, it took a lot for somebody to look at me physically and say, yeah, that athlete is going to be projects to be, um, you know, a, a, a pack 10 at the time football, you know, quarterback. And, and I credit Tim Rosenbaugh a lot for that. And if you look at Tim Rosenbaugh's history now of quarterbacks over the years, he's picked a lot of really good ones. So I feel fortunate for that, but um, I was very productive, but I was, you know, six to 170 pounds. I mean, I wasn't, I was no, I was nothing to write home about physically. And so the difference was Oregon recruited three guys in that recruiting class. And I wasn't even in three guys that they took. Now, one of them ended up being Dennis Dixon, which was, he gray shirted and, you know, he ended up working out. He was awesome. And so I don't really, I don't necessarily hold a grudge, but I had a heck of a chip on my shoulder in college. And so my ju- my junior year, Oregon came into Pullman and they were ranked 15th in the country, I believe. And we got after him. I mean, we got after him. I played great. Um, it was a big win. We were having a good year, um, that 06 year. And it felt so good. I'm telling you, it felt so good like that. I just, you know, you kind of think of that moment. And so that was incredible. That moment was really special for me. Now I turned around in my senior year in 07 and, and laid an egg down at Austin <laughs> stadium. I was, I was probably a little, you know how they talk about being even keeled, your quarterback stay nice and level and all these things. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I got a little, I got a little too high on the, on the spectrum and a little too hyped for that one. So, and, okay. and that junior game against uh, Oregon were your buddies from Eugene rooting for you or rooting for the ducks. 
No, I've got diehard duck fans in my, in, in my circle. They were, oh. they were in Pullman. I had high school friends that came to Pullman to, to watch that game. To, to root against the ducks. You. Yeah. Mm. Now to be fair, they'd come to other games and root for us. So, you know, it is what it is. Mm. Um, Mm. beautiful yep he's uh one of the all-time best in terms of numbers at washington state university you'll catch him on root sports with bump you'll hear him on the cougar radio network he's alex brink has lots to say also follow him on twitter to hear his thoughts and read his thoughts on all the realignment alex it's great to visit with you again it's been a long time thank you very very much for being on mitch unfiltered appreciate it i appreciate it mitch take care man It's been a while since my friend and Mitch Unfiltered partner, John Waterstrat, joined us, and there's good reason. He's been busy. An exciting major facelift to some of the fireside showrooms. How are you, J-Dub? I'm doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. And yes, it it has been busy, and we're excited to unveil some new, cool new projects. We have a new sales director that came along, and he's been putting his footprint on the showrooms, and we're excited about what he's doing. We're going to put some new fireplaces you've never seen before, and then we're redoing our whole outdoor kitchen area. Wow. The fantastic flagship Bellevue location was already beautiful, so I can't wait to drop by and see it. So what's the rumor about some big project you're coming up, some enormous fireplace that you guys are ready to install? Yes, our commercial department's doing a fantastic job, and as we've talked about before, we can do almost anything in fireplaces, and custom fireplaces are getting bigger and bigger, and we're hoping to uh, unveil the one of the largest fireplaces in North America. It's going to be pretty exciting stuff. How big? Roughly 25 feet. And you're not going to tell us where it is, but we'll be able to see it sometime? And we'll be able to see it and we'll talk about it. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Oh, that's yeah. going to be fun. So now that we've reached, let's call it the off-season for fireplace use, it's actually, you and I talk about this, one of the better times of the year to start the process of redoing the fireplaces in your home or, like you guys did for us, an outdoor unit. Yes, I mean, when the weather gets nice out there, things go a little bit faster. So we're not fighting the weather, whether we have to extract a fireplace, put a new one in. And then again, outside as well, when you're out there, we can get something done pretty quickly for you right now. And so when you're looking at the off season and you have a schedule and, and you want to get something done quickly, it's the best time to do it. Yeah. Whether it's fireplaces or garage doors, begin your search at firesidehomesolutions.com. I'll bet you'll end your search there too. It's sponsors like John and Fireside that make our shows and growing guest lists possible. Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Hey, look who it is. Katie Versio, the Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. The market's up. How's everything at Evergreen? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Everything here is going well. How are you doing? Everybody is good here. I'm ready for the new trivia quiz. The theme today is what? Today we're doing a economic and market update. I'm okay. revisiting some of the questions we discussed at this time last year and just seeing how things have changed. Questions that I undoubtedly missed at this time last year. I'll try to get some answers right and I'm ready for question number one from Evergreen Golf Call. So the Federal Reserve started increasing interest rates in March of 2022 in an effort to cool inflation and slow down the economy without tipping us into a recession. How many times has the Fed raised rates since March of 2022? Is it seven times, nine times, or 11? It's a lot. I'm throwing seven out. It's either nine or 11. 11 sounds extremely high. I'm going to go nine. So it actually is 11 times. 
So the Fed has the fastest tightening cycle on record where interest rates have increased significantly. Now we see the two year treasury around 4.8%. So while we don't know what will happen moving forward, if they're going to raise again, if they'll pause or if they'll cut, we think now is a good time to lock in yields on fixed income. And of course, Mitch is in a familiar spot. Oh, for one, I'm ready for question number two. Okay, so in June of 2022, the inflation rate was 9.1%, the highest rate in four decades. What's the current inflation rate as of June 2023? Is it 3%, 4%, or 5%? Well, it's way down, but I don't think it's down to three, so I'll go 4% B again. It's actually 3%. So inflation has come down significantly over the last 12 months. In addition, unemployment has stayed low under 4%. Right now it's under 3.6%. What they've been doing appears to have had some effect on these markers. And there I am at 0 for 2. I'm probably staring at another 0% in the face. I'm ready for question number three. Have a little mercy on me, would you please, Katie? (laughs) All right, I'm giving you an easy one this time. So it's a true or false. Both stocks and bonds are up in 2023. Absolutely true. I'm going to get one right, Katie. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. (laughs) So stocks are up 19% and bonds are up a little over 2%. So this is following the worst year on record for a balanced portfolio that I know we've talked about in the past. So it's been a strong start in the first half of the year. All the ups and downs over the last many years make this a great time to learn more about my partner, Evergreen Golf Call, a one-stop shop for all of your investment needs. Learn about them at evergreengk.com. Unfiltered. All right, Other Stuff segment, episode 250. Mitch on Filter with Hotshot Scott. Should we get the Lahaina thing out of the way? Sure. Since it's so sure. sad it's very and sad. awful and just it's heartbreaking and, and mind-blowing in any adjective you can come up with, right? I mean, correct. you look at it, 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 it's like a set from Universal Studios who's doing an end-of-the-world set that they just built. It's You can't believe what you're looking at. It's so heartbreaking and awful. But I do have a pet peeve about the way people are reacting to this. Uh-oh. Not all people. Most people on social media. Oh. I, you're probably not a big Facebook guy. No, actually, I don't go on Facebook at all. Okay. People can't stop thrusting themselves into this story somehow about, oh, so sad. What's going on in Lahaina? Here's eight pictures of us when we were there last summer. Oh, I can't believe my favorite banyan tree is gone from the park. Here's eight pictures of my kid on the banyan tree. Like, they can't resist and then there, there's somebody we, we used to work we with don't give a shit about no, you <laughs> post the red cross hotline or, yes. or go fund me or yes so what if you were there too everyone's been to fucking maui it's not it's not a it's not a huge barrier to entry to Look go to at maui me with a pina colada over there oh god oh <laughs> this was my favorite oh we, we just got back from the big island i can't believe what's going on in life you weren't even on maui and you had to fucking felt the need to talk about how you were there and then i, I noticed his wife posted the same thing oh well, we just got back from the big island. i can't believe what's going on what is that what is that that need people have to like give them some sort of distinction I or don't know. to feel special or to need I attention. Know. I don't know. Like you and I got in a, you and I got into radio because clearly there's something missing and we needed attention. Yes. That's fine. That I get. <laughs> Does everyone feel that way? Apparently. Oh my God. It's driving me crazy. Uh, At least be helpful or do something. So you've been to Maui. You went there eight years ago. 
The fire has nothing to do with you. Who gives a You've shit? You've been waiting all week oh, to get this God. off your chest. My wife's so sick of hearing about it. I just could not wait. Yeah, it do sucks. Do not put pictures of yourself oh, in my. Maui I mean, and your wh- family. How, what, Don't do it. To, to what end, though? What's the point? I get it's, your frustration. It's making me crazy. I don't know about it because I don't see these pictures, but I get oh, it. Why make it about you? You've been to Maui. We're all proud of you. Great job. It doesn't help anybody. Can we graduate from Maui to my favorite athlete in the world? Sure. None other than Phil Mickelson. Should we be talking about Phil Mickelson on this episode of 250? Is he playing in Soquama yet, or is he not quite that age? He can. He can. Oh, yeah, really? He's eligible to play. <laughs> okay. He's eligible to play. I don't think he's played there quite yet. Okay. Can we talk about the details of his gambling that's come out now in the oh, new book? Please fill me in. The new book that uh, is coming out on August 22nd called Gambler Secrets from a Life at Risk by Billy Walters. Do you know who Billy Walters is? No. So Billy Walters is one of the most famous or infamous sports gamblers of all time. He was so good at it, apparently, that people won't take his money anymore. Wow. Won't let him bet. Okay. And he was this huge mysterious Vegas icon. Hmm. And then he got in trouble and got thrown in jail for insider trading of which Phil Mickelson was a part of. Oh, God. It turns out that Phil Mickelson and he were buddies for a good period of time. Mickelson was betting through him and he was actually betting through Phil Mickelson because nobody would take Billy Walter's money. And then Mickelson sold him down the river and didn't help him out in the insider trading thing and he ended up in jail. Now he's written his first ever book, Billy Walters, where there's a few chapters about... I'm sure, yes. Phil Mickelson. And? Would you like to hear some details? Phil, me in. Sure. According to Billy Walters, Phil Mickelson wagered more than $1 billion <laughs> on different sports. No way he has a billion dollars to spend on sports. Is that true? Over a decade, Phil Mickelson, he's got receipts, according to Billy Walters. Phil Mickelson wagered more than $1 billion on sports. Item number two, Walters says that Mickelson lost $100 million when they were buddies. So he bet a billion. Yeah. He lost $100 million while they were buddies. Walters says that it was not uncommon for Mickelson to bet $20,000 a game on a long-shot five-team NBA parlay. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> or wager $100,000 or $200,000 a game on football, basketball, and baseball games. One baseball game, two hundred grand lefty would bet, according to Billy Walters. And you're, in you're just in baseball. I mean, you're just feeling great about your chances. I mean, and here's the most controversial. Mickelson called him from the Ryder Cup. <laughs> the Ryder Cup that Mickelson was playing in 2012 and asked Billy Walters to make a four hundred thousand dollar bet on the American team. An event again that Mickelson was playing in. Gosh. Walters said that he wouldn't make the bet given the potential ramifications it might have for Mickelson. He said, quote, he was so confident that he asked me to place a $400,000 wager for him on the U.S. team to win. I could not believe what I was hearing, according to Walters. He likened the situation to Pete Rose with him on the phone, betting on baseball. Walters said to Phil, you're seen as a modern-day Arnold Palmer. You'd risk all of that for this? Yeah. If somebody finds out that you bet $400,000 on the Ryder Cup that you're involved in, you, you want to, I'm not doing it. He refused to do it. 
According to Billy Walters, he has no idea to this day whether Phil found somebody else to take the $400,000 bet. Yeah. So this is very controversial because now you get you start talking about wagering on sure. yeah, yeah. events that you have a participation in. Do we know if the U.S. won that year? Like- yeah, we know. They lost. They did. They lost. They were way ahead and they lost. So if he got the $400,000 bet in, he lost that too. If not, he owes that guy $400,000. Phil Mickelson was approached at the LIV golf tournament this week to get a response, of course. Yeah. And here's what Phil said. Quote, I never bet on the Ryder Cup. While it is well known, this was a statement. While it was well known that I always enjoy a friendly wager on the golf course, (laughs) I would never undermine the integrity of the game. I have also been very open about my gambling addiction. I have previously conveyed my remorse, took responsibility, have gotten help, and have been fully committed to therapy that has positively impacted me, and I feel good about where I am right now. Okay. So let me ask you, is that a denial? Billy Walters says he called me, asked me to place a $400,000 bet on the Ryder Cup for him, and I turned him down. I told him I wouldn't do it. It's too risky to your reputation, and I have no idea if he found somebody else to do it. Phil Mickelson says, quote, I never bet on the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Now, if, if Phil couldn't find anyone to take Correct. his bet, he if never Billy, bet on the Ryder Cup. He, could both of these things be true? Of course, yeah. That Billy Walters is saying that Phil asked me yeah. to bet four hundred grand on the Ryder Cup, and Phil's saying, I never bet on the Ryder Cup. Why doesn't Phil say... Not only did I never bet on the Ryder Cup, I never asked Billy Walters or anybody else right. to bet $400,000 for me. Why doesn't he just say that? That he didn't say. No, he didn't say. Okay. It's funny he didn't say that. Why doesn't yeah. he say that? Yeah, yeah. I never asked anybody, Billy Walters or anybody else, to make a $400,000 or a $1 bet on the Ryder Cup. That's right. the that's what he should be saying in this statement. <laughs> yeah, you'd think if you were completely... This is different. Yeah. Mm. So technically, he probably mm. never did bet on the Ryder Cup. When Rory McIlroy was asked at this week's tournament, what about Phil? making all those wagers and betting on the Ryder Cup. Do you have a problem with that? He said, ah, I could bet this time on the Ryder Cup because he ain't playing. <laughs> so nothing will happen to him. He'll just, no, no, this no, book will come gonna, out. Nothing will happen to nothing's him. Nothing's going to happen. But I want to have Billy Walters on our show to promote the book. Well, I think you should. Billy Walters is this, as I told you, yeah. reclusive, For good mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> nobody knows him. Yeah. He did like one interview, I think. I, I don't I don't know that we have much of a chance to get him on. I'd love to have him on It'd the show. It'd be great. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I, you could do for, an hour with I him. Could, not only about Phil Mickelson, but just about sports wagering and how, how'd you get so good. I mean, it's a... Apparently he's legendary. He like he was great. Huh. He had it figured out. I heard that nobody could figure it out, but he figured it out. And so much so that big casinos and sports books, no, no, your your money's not welcomed here, sir. Crazy. You That's imagine, how good he was. Imagine at being it. that good where you walk in, sir. You're too talented at this. You're gonna have to go somewhere else. And how about Matt? I got Magic Johnson news. I saw Magic just had his big boat trip that I'm envious of every year. Yeah, I don't know about the boat trip. Yeah, every year he, he goes he on a back. yacht with yeah, Samuel L. Cookie. Jackson. Did he and- go with Cookie? And yeah, I think Cookie Johnson still around. Yeah, yes. yes. But there's someone else that he goes with that I'd, yeah. I'd be, I would love more than anything to be on that boat trip. Anyway, Magic Johnson went on a podcast and I thought had some very interesting comments to make on the podcast. Normally, Magic Johnson doesn't say anything about it. You know how successful this guy's been in business after his uh, playing days were over? You're aware of that, Oh, yeah, right? the movie theaters and the Starbucks. And oh, my God. I had to stop following him on Twitter because he's so annoying. Yeah, he's he's my favorite player of all time, and I had to stop following him. 
He's awful. He's a See, robot. I don't follow. Is he? Oh, he's, he says nothing. Yeah. He's a part owner of the Dodgers. He's now a part owner of the Washington Commanders football team. Yeah, he's got a few bucks. So he's, he's done very well. But here's the decision that if he regrets anything, he regrets this one. Okay. They asked him about him signing with Converse. Oh, do you I, know this story? No, but I, I had a pair of those. I love those. I, I actually got a pair for Converse two years ago for Christmas. I love those big, chunky Converse. So when he came out of Michigan State after they beat Indiana State and a guy named Larry Bird in the yeah. 1979 NCAA championship game, yep. and he was drafted by the Lakers, yeah. he was approached by shoe companies. Oh, yeah. And Converse came to him and offered him a lot of money at the time. And he signed to wear Converse shoes, which wasn't a big deal. He says, quote, Converse offered me the most money. Yep. So, you know, when you grow up broke, you take the most money to wear shoes. Yeah. This other guy named Phil Knight came in and said, hey, I can't really offer you all that much money, but I can offer you stock. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. This is his quote, Magic Johnson. Today, I didn't know nothing about it. Quote. My family didn't come from money. See, that's one thing that hurt us sometimes. When you don't come from money, I didn't even know what stocks was at that time. So I passed on the stocks. Yeah, he wants cash in hand. Yep. Those stocks would be now worth $5 billion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they sort of hit on that, on that winning time show. Oh, they did? Uh, yeah, about, oh, they did, yeah. He just said, sure, I'll take them. Because he just, hey, if you're going to throw money at me, I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. And he, $5 billion yeah. in stock. That's how much... Phil Knight offered, that's how much it would be worth today. Five billion smackers. By the way, speaking of, of Nike, that, that yacht trip, it's Magic, Jordan, Samuel L. Jackson, and then Judge Greg Mathis, for some reason, is on there, too. <laughs> he had a show for a while, but just hanging out with those Didn't three on Magic a yacht. did Magic have oh. a show, show? Didn't he have a late night show? Magic? Magic hour or oh magic God. time? I the think he did. I think yeah. it was shorter than Chevy Chase's. I think you were invited show. on that show. I was, as a matter of to fact. Do your yes. Pee Wee Herman imitation. <laughs> I love Magic, but boy, he is insufferable when okay. you hear him talk. He really is. is He's he? just a colossal blowhard, and he never gives you anything. And, no. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Uh, the Wilson family's getting bigger. I know you're uh, lighting off balloons and confetti in this house because Russell Wilson's having another kid. I saw the video. They don't do it uh, in a small oh. one. They don't do the reveal. They don't just say, hey, I'm having a kid. They got to do a big, like, Hollywood-produced video on Twitter. Uh, I saw that. She dancing with the big belly. The, the obnoxious yeah. and annoying silhouette video yes, of her yes. showing off her baby bump yeah, you're yes, talking about. Yes, yes, Oh, my God. God. What is wrong with that? Go away, Russell. Go away. Do you see that the meme that the Arizona Cardinals sent out kind of uh, dragging the Broncos a little bit? No. It was pretty funny. I don't know if I'll do it justice, but they they went after Russell pretty hard. You know the the video of him like holding the weight and squatting down and doing the exercise. And yeah. They showed him doing that on the plane oh, coming geez. to Denver, and then they showed that woman who had the big meltdown going, yeah. "I don't know who that is back there." <laughs> it was actually I was shocked they did it because it was pretty mean, but was God, it, it was funny. Was it the actual Cardinals? I think it was like, the Jesus. actual Cardinals Jesus. Twitter account. It was pretty <laughs> damn funny though. But boy, I don't know why he's turned into this guy that just people go loved. away. Just, I, I Oh, kind of. Who's worse, him or Magic? They're kind of similar in a way. Very similar, yeah. And throw A-Rod in there, too. Like, just kind of robots, and you'll get nothing out of them, and no one knows what they really think. And, yeah, he is just insufferable, oh, man. God. Yeah.
All right. See your buddy Steph Curry jump on stage at the Paramore concert? No, I did not. You probably don't know Paramore. I, I don't know Paramore. I don't really know him that well either, but he and his wife, Aisha, who just celebrated their 12-year anniversary in Greece, made their way back to U.S. soil, and Steph was no bystander at the Paramore concert. He jumped on stage right in the middle, grabbed the no mic, and showed off his pipes for their with their most popular song. He sang it. He sounded good. Really? And there's video Is of it. Is there anything that guy can't do? I know. No. It's starting to get a little annoying. He's a really good golfer. He had like a hole in one. He Did won he? that tournament a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, why would you ever bet against him in anything, right? I mean, he's just There's got to be something he can't do. No. And then he also turned down a, a sports drink company for endorsement. He said, I don't think kids should be drinking that much sugar. And I'm going to pass. It's, uh, it's like a great guy. You know, yeah, it's like I, I hate him. I hope he doesn't turn into Russell Wilsonville. I don't think he will. He's a little more likable. So I don't know who Paramore is. And I was going to bring it up, but. I guess Tom Brady took his daughter to some concert. I didn't recognize that name either. Oh, so you saw that? Yeah. yeah. He did dad duty. Blood something or Blackstone. Other? Bloodstone. Or... I don't know. Was it a K, K-pop? i I'm not sure. What's K-pop? I don't even know what K-pop is. Isn't that Korean is. pop yeah. music? I don't know. He was. They made a big deal out of him taking his daughter to some concert. And mm-hmm. I was like, I wish I recognized these acts every once in a while. <laughs> It'd be nice. Can't you just go to Tony Bennett so I understand? At least Taylor Swift, so somebody we've heard of. I've heard of Taylor Kevin Swift. Kevin Costner was at Taylor Swift. Uh, Cal and Stanford, where are they headed? No clue. They were trying to go to the ACC, mm. but it turns out the ACC... <laughs> so the Atlantic Coast Conference? That makes a lot of sense. Sorry. God. For a new member to, to get into the ACC, 12 out of 15 ACC member schools have to approve. Okay. North Carolina, North Carolina State, Florida State, and Clemson all said... No, thank you. Really? To Cal and Stanford. So they only got 11 out of 15 <sighs> yeses. So Cal and Stanford's plight to go to the ACC has been rejected. Stanford should just go to the Ivy League. Just kick the shit out of everyone every year. You'll be the champs every year. Yeah. And you can finally be an what Ivy League. They always say you're the Ivy League of the West Coast. I think they're all going to end up like in the Mountain West Conference. Yeah. So there's going to be some, some expansion or some American Athletic Conference. Jeez. You remember that story about Aqib Talib's brother? Yeah, well, he's in. He was sentenced to life in jail or something. Well, or? thirty-seven years. Thirty-seven years. I don't know if we talked about that or not, though. No, that's a couple weeks ago, though. I saw thirty-seven yeah. years officially sentenced. Wasn't Aqib Talib himself involved? Wasn't yeah, he there at the moment? Something at halftime or at at the end of the game at a so, high school game? Yes. Well, it was a youth football game. Youth not that football. it makes it any better, but yeah. it's youth football. Everybody. Oh he shot a football coach last. It was last summer, I think. So, yeah, he learned his fate inside the Dallas courtroom. His, Akib was actually in attendance. He's not charged with anything. At least mm-hmm. he's off the hook. And, yeah, he remained in custody in 37 years. There you go. And then there's Lionel Richie, who's in trouble with his fans. Did you see this? Yeah, he passed on a show, didn't he? Well, it wasn't that he just passed on a show. Yeah. Did you see the specifics? Well, the weather it was like. Yeah. It wasn't just that he passed on the show because of his claim of the weather. But did you see the specifics? No. Well, he kind of did so an hour after the show started. Oh, really? (laughs) An hour into the show. Like people are... They were there. He was doing a combo show with Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's a great ticket. It is if they all show up. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And one hour after the show started at Madison Square Garden, he had done a show in Boston the previous night. He wrote or tweeted, due to severe weather and being unable to land in the New York and surrounding areas, I'm unable to make it to tonight's show. 
I'm so bummed. Everybody's there. Yeah. <laughs> it's an hour. <laughs> right. Couldn't you have told us yeah. before we got on the subway, Lionel? Would have been God's nice. Sake. Yeah. So people are pissed. Yes, they are. He's rescheduled it. And on top of it, I guess a lot of them are pissed because the weather wasn't all that bad in New York at the time that he wrote this. Yeah. So I just can't believe Lionel Richie can piss anyone off these days. I'm happy to hear people still give a shit. <laughs> They're excited to see him. That's cool, I guess. All right. You know, Elvis Presley was a proud gun owner, right? We all know that. I do. A revolver from his expansive firearms collection is hitting the auction block where it's expected to fetch five figures. It can be all yours. Between mm-hmm. 60 and 90 Gs it's supposed to go for. It's, mm. it's a Smith & Wesson Model 53 double action revolver. It was gifted to him in 1976, just nine months before he died. That'd be a pretty cool gun to have in your collection. So go for it, everybody. I think a couple of weeks ago I brought up on a show... Happy birthday to Elizabeth Francis from Houston, Texas. Did I did I bring that up? I think I did. Maybe. I don't yeah, remember. on July 25th, Elizabeth Francis in Houston, Texas celebrated a birthday. You tell me what birthday she celebrated, being that she was born on July 25th, 1909. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that. 114 years old. She was decked out. Pictures have come out from her birthday celebration. Uh Uh-oh. She was decked out in a tiara for the occasion, and she celebrated her special day with her family. 94-year-old daughter, Dorothy Williams. (laughs) 94-year-old daughter, Dorothy Williams, was there for the party. 68-year-old granddaughter, Ethel Harrison, was there for the party. (laughs) Frances doesn't smoke or drink, but she says, I eat everything. Uh, She has three grandchildren, five great-grandchildren, and four great-great-grandchildren. Unbelievable. I don't know what's so damn funny about her (laughs) 94-year-old daughter being there for the celebration. 94-year-old daughter. Imagine. Oh, God. Imagine being 94 and going to your mom's birthday party because she's still alive. Having a mom at 94 is unbelievable. (laughs) That is so funny. So she celebrated. She's still going. Everything's good. Everything's fine. 114. Healthy, healthy. Man, good for her. 114. All right. You know the names Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy, right? Don't worry. Nobody does. Okay. But they just put their four-bedroom Malibu pad on the market for oh. $18.5 million. Oh. $18 million. So how'd they make their money, you How'd ask? they make their money, Hotshot? Well, they produced movies called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, Frank Marshall does sound like a movie executive. And yeah. E.T., yeah. Pick a movie in the 80s. They had their names on it. Oh, they did okay. 143 movies to their IMDb they credit. They with Steven Spielberg. We know that. Well, she runs something called Lucasfilm, the Star Wars movies, and Frank runs their own production company. Because when I saw their names, I was like... So they're doing okay. How do they have a house? Who I never heard of these... Oh, there you go. Get your get your, your money into E.T. and Raiders of the Lark, Lost Ark in 82. I'm right there with you. Just keep cooking, Didn't buddy. Didn't like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, really? No. Then you, you're not allowed to watch movies. E.T. I liked. But Raiders is a classic. No, I didn't like Raiders. But nah. That didn't do anything for me. You didn't like it, but you have to admit it's it's a great movie. It's a great action summer blockbuster. I guess. I guess. I mean, you're... Dun, 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 yes. Dun, dun, dun. You're way on the outside dun, of that dun, one. Dun, dun. I'm I, on the outside of everything in yeah, my I life. I watch God it sake. once a year. And I'm going to see the new one soon. I have two RIPs. Do you have any RIPs? Yeah, I got four. You want to go first? Five, I think. Oh, my God. You go first. All right. William Friedkin. He was oh, a no, director. He, he directed a movie called The Exorcist. Okay. He might best be remembered for that, but he had other... 
notable credits like the french connection you ever see french connection sure, great sure, movie sure no, that's uh, a great movie to live and die no, in la summer adventure great movie <laughs> deal of the century the guard blue chips 12 angry it goes on sure. and on blue chips yeah. yeah with uh nick nolte oh sure Shaq. jim Beheim was in that movie i think he was 87 years old william okay. Okay. former child star austin majors died as a i result. know i know that one yeah fentanyl overdose yeah here we go again nypd blue yeah he was sipowitz's kid yes he sure was mistaken. i remember i remember the scenes i remember him being in a cute kid yeah yeah he was in 48 episodes and just another one we can you know put on the list of fentanyl overdose he was 27 by the way um robbie robertson songwriter and lead guitarist for legendary rock group the band after battling prostate cancer for about a year up on cripple creek and the weight or a couple Mm -hmm. songs you'd maybe know Mm -hmm. johnny hardwick known for playing dale gribble on king of the hill has died okay he was hilarious he started doing stand-up in 1990 and eventually landed his First stand-up appearance on the Jon Stewart show. And okay. then he was on King of the Hill for a ton of them. He was 64 years old. All right. This one's awful. Caleb White, one of the best high school basketball players in the country, tragically passed away. His family said he collapsed during an on-court workout at school. Okay. He was a first-team All-State selection as a junior. And according to ESPN, was the number three-ranked prospect in the entire state of Alabama. So rest in peace, 17 years old. And then you probably have this one. Former Seahawk. Yes. <laughs> Sean Dawkins. Nine seasons in the NFL, most notably with the Indianapolis Colts, but did play two quality years here in Seattle, the 99 season and the 2000 season. He caught 58 balls for 992 yards and 99 and seven touchdowns from? Quarterback? Uh, yeah, 2000, he caught 63 passes. Kitna. 731 yards and five touchdowns from? Kitna. Put Kitna in! <laughs> I knew it. John yes. Kitna. How about legendary rock keyboardist of the group, The Kinks? Oh. John Gosling has sadly passed away see that at the age of 75. The band's most successful song, Lola, included Gosling. His music has entertained the world for decades. I am a huge John God. I am a huge Kinks fan. You love fan. the Kinks, I'm love sure. The Kinks. One of your favorite. Mm-hmm. Bands of all time, yes. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, when I watched that Husky game against the against Cal in 1991, yeah, I watched it from, <laughs> I watched it from Mark Brunell's girlfriend's parents' house at the what? time. Stay with me. I'm with you. So I was sort of dating a girl in high school my senior year, and she had an older sister at UW who was dating Mark Brunell. They're okay. they're now married. Yeah, they've been together forever. Yeah, and I remember walking into this girl's house as a senior in high school, and there's an effing shrine to Mark for Rose Bowl. I remember thinking. What chance do I have in this household? I mean, I'm some dipshit from downtown Issaquah. And you watch the game there? And I watched it, her and I watched the game from, from that house. But I remember just seeing that shrine. I hope shrine. you didn't swear when something bad happens because I think Brunel is a, uh, well, yeah, a very Christian fellow, isn't he? He is, very yeah, from what fellow. I hear. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, I just remember it being like, they, they, How did it work out for you me. and her? Yeah, look at us. <laughs> Where is she today? <laughs> Lasted a couple of months. Where is she today? I think we're friends on Facebook. She's around. Yeah, she's around. Hey, Mark is still married to her, so... How many years ago is it? I was this close to being Mark's brother-in-law. Okay, no, I wasn't. I wasn't close at all, but... And that would have done what for you? Yeah, exactly. He probably would have been borrowing money from you at this point, poor guy. Didn't he Wasn't blow- Mark Brunel the, um, the quarterback that faced Dan Marino in his last game? In Dan Marino's last ever oh game gosh. in the Jacksonville Jaguar? Maybe. He, I mean, he had some... He had at least one big contract, right? I mean, he was a pretty good so. NFL quarterback. I think so. And then that article, <laughs> you're thinking about Marino's last game. <laughs> well, Marino came here and beat the Seahawks in the Thank Kingdom, you. beat John Kitna. Who was that That defensive end that we couldn't block? Trace Armstrong. Trace Armstrong, good Lord. Could not block him. No. 
And then they went to Jacksonville the next week, the Dolphins did, and lost like 67 to 3 or something. Really? And that something was it? horrible. Yeah. And he threw like eight to eight interceptions. Jimmy Johnson was the coach. He wanted him out. Yeah. That was the last game that Dan Marino ever played. And I think that Mark Brunel might have been the quarterback on the other side. I, I don't know. Jimmy Somebody Smith had five him. touchdowns that day. Yeah, Keenan McCardell. <laughs> right. Fred Taylor running all over the place. Fuck Keenan McCardell. <laughs> All right, I got nothing else. I got headlines if you'd I, like them. I'll take some. Doctors dislocate my mind off of that shit. Doctors dislocate a man's jaw. Never won a Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. God. Sad, man. It's God, he sports was works. God, he was good. I was a fan. I mean, I he was I, so I liked him growing good. up. I know, God, man. And Marino in his prime, nothing quite like. Like it. if you go back and watch Marino highlights. Oh. Better than Peyton Manning highlights. Better than Tom Brady highlights. Better than Brett Favre highlights. Better than everybody highlights. It's kind of true. It's not kind of true. It is true. But people might not necessarily believe it coming from you because you're just in the bag for him. But I, as I'm someone, telling you, you watch I, that guy. I know, but people aren't going to necessarily believe you. Just you just can't believe what he used to do. The ball comes out of his hand differently than anyone you oh. see. And I'm not just blowing smoke here. It's I, I've gone you back You don't have watch. to tell me. I know. Because sometimes you, like somebody's good in your mind and you go back and watch it. Like, no. Yeah, he was okay. They're much better now. He was something else. Yeah. I know. I was there with you. Okay, you ready for headlines? You're not. Doctors dislocate a man's he jaw. Won a Super they Bowl. dislocate his jaw to remove a light bulb that got stuck in his mouth. Get the hell out. Some TikTok nonsense. Yeah. But in a country that eats scorpions, chicken testicles, and snake soup, eating a light bulb actually makes a little sense to me in China. A young woman, while sharing a moment of passion with her boyfriend, who, while kissing her ear accidentally created too much suction pressure and suffered a ruptured eardrum. Uh-oh. Man, talk about the kiss of death. A man almost asphyxiates to death after accidentally swallowing his car key. Sadly, now, every time he farts, the doors lock. And finally, a spider whose bite can cause long and painful erections oh. Oh. shuts down an Austrian supermarket. Uh-oh. If this spider bites you, it can cause long and painful erections. And they found one in a supermarket in Austria. And now the staff wait anxiously for those dreaded words to come over the PA system. Clean up in the produce department. And that's it, everybody. Thanks for coming tonight. Not sure for you sale, Francis. Tip your waitresses. You never want to see it is weird. Like, Charles Barkley never won an NBA title. It's just, oh, come on. That's Don't even compare the two. Oh, because Barkley was no good? He was okay. Yeah, he was all right. But, I mean, th there are some weird stories out there where it's just, how could he not have ever won one? I know. I know. Hey, I I watched him against the Seahawks. I'm very familiar with Dan. I used to like him. I used to like the Killer Bees and the whole thing we were on up. I'm a fan. I'm with you, buddy. Episode Hang in there. 250. <laughs> it's in the book. That's it.